0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. What a weekend in the running world. Joseph von Bulla and the Florida Gators put on a show at the NCAA Championships in Eugene. Caitlin Tuohy is an NCAA champion. Nico Young is not. Had something to do with the sixth and seventh year senior finishing in front of him. Yard Ngoose is back, baby. 3.34 at the Portland Track Festival. Craig Engels is out of USAs. Devin Allen almost breaks the world record in the 110-meter hurdles in New York. Shakari Richardson continues to improve. And Sinberry Teferi wins the New York Mini 10K, a loaded New York Mini 10K. Plus, at the end of the show, we will talk to the second-fastest high school 800-meter runner of all time, Cade Flat who will be taking a run at the national record at this weekend's New Balance Nationals Outdoor in Philadelphia. So much to talk about, and back from Eugene after a terrific weekend of track and field. This is Jonathan Galt, your co-host. I am joined by the co-founders of Let'sRun.com, Robin and Weldon Johnson. Gentlemen, good day to you.
1: Good to be here, John. Yes, had a nice talk with Kate Flatt. Calling him the Muhammad Ali of running. He's from Kentucky, talks a big game, backs it up. He's from Benton, Kentucky, population 4,756. Yeah, this is the middle of nowhere. It's near, like, Nashville, Tennessee, is the closest thing to it, two hours away. And if you're wondering if you want to listen, guys, how about the fact that he says sometimes he only runs three miles per week?
0: That's pretty crazy. And
1: he reveals he's doing the USATF Senior Nationals because he wants people in Benton to see him on TV. He's like, they don't have a lot of role models around here, a lot of people on TV. So Senior Nationals, (laughs) no under 20s for him. He's hoping to make the final.
0: Wow, that would be pretty awesome. But he's what? He's run 146.5? I mean, it's not inconceivable that he could make the final, the US. Yeah, it's, it's, it's possible. Did you ask him about being 19 years old, Weldon, since we all obsess about the ages?
1: Oh my gosh, I wasn't gonna go there before we started talking. I was like, people are slandering you, like, how old are you? And he's like, I just turned 19. He turned 19, I think, in May. So, totally acceptable. Like, my daughter's gonna be 19 of May for senior year.
0: What do you mean totally acceptable? He's a year older than mo- most of his classmates, Weldon. You just act like this is
1: normal, John, it's not. John, any kid who's born in September is going to turn 19 in September, October, November. Like, let, let's get over it. If you're born in May, you're either the youngest kid or the oldest kid,
0: one of the oldest kids in your class. So, I mean, I didn't go to high school with anyone who turned 19 in the May may of the senior year, but that's just me. I mean, I, I don't want to discredit the kid's achievements. It's awesome, I I like watching him run, but I was just curious, like... Is that just the grade he was put in, or is he held back or something? I, I'm just curious how these Wha- things happen.
1: Wow. So it's okay to go after a male 19-year-old high schooler, but if we say anything about a female, John, cancel, cancel, cancel.
0: What do you mean? We mentioned Natalie Cook is a year old. They're, they're both a year old for their grade, and I just kind of wanted to know how it happened. I'm not, I don't have an issue with it. He's totally fine to compete. He's his huge talent. I'm just always interested how those sort of things happen.
2: Let the voice of sanity come in here, folks. This is Robert Johnson, former star collegiate distance coach. If you're new, if you're a high schooler just joining, I used to coach and dominate the NCAA for 10 years. I can coach you this summer. Go to letsrun.com slash coaching. This What y'all have already said, though, confirms to me. I'm like, why aren't people – I love the 800s. my favorite event to watch in track and field. But I'm like, Let's Run Nation doesn't get as much into the 800-meter runners. And I kind of had this theory, and it's been confirmed by what y'all have already said, that I'm like – Well, it's not really distance running. Most people view the 800 as talent. They falsely think that long distance running isn't talent. It's about hard work. I mean, it takes hard work to be good distance running, but it's also talent. But when I hear he runs three miles a week, I'm like, yep. That's not fathomable to most like, let's runners banging out their mileage. Anyways, we'll also talk about Jonathan Galt's most liked tweet ever. I think it's getting tons and tons of.
0: Not close to it. Not even close.
2: Got hundreds of hearts on it. But yet people are calling for the cancellation of Jonathan Galt. All of that and more on this podcast. We want to hear from you. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter. Seriously, people, if you've got some problem with something on the message board, if you're a pro, great. Pick up the phone, 844-538-7786. If you're a fan, text us, call us. We want to hear from you. And if you love this podcast, you'll love our second podcast podcast. Each week, even more. The Friday 15 is available to our su- the members of our Supporters Club. Join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe.
1: Speaking of the Supporters Club, just check the voicemail. We got an appropriate voicemail from the fake Josh Kerr. Here it is.
2: Of course, the fake Josh Kerr is a Supporters Club member. If you're listening to the podcast too,
3: stop being so cheap and pay the boys for the quality podcast they make. And of course, Jonathan Galt hates Scottish people and northerners. That's no surprise to me.
2: He probably wanted Hadrian to build that wall just north of Watford. What's surprising though is that Jonathan hates the Queen. I thought he would have been a guy that had a collection of Queen hats or something. You know, a top five hats that Lizzie wore at Ascotts. That was surprising to me. And that's for you, Malcolm Gladwell. You're obviously a hobby jogger that's never won a championship race in his life. Anyway,
3: boys, talk to you soon. See you, Eugene. Cheers.
2: All
0: right, that was awesome. I can't wait, wait to meet the fake Josh Kerr. And clearly, there, there are some great British references there. So it tells me either he might, might maybe he's English and he's got a great fake Scot- Scottish accent. Or maybe he's actually Scottish. I don't know, but he he knows his UK culture quite well. And I can't wait to buy him a beer in Eugene. Is he going
1: to be in Eugene? John, he's got to be Scottish. I've always figured he's really Scottish, no?
0: I, I mean, the, the accent's so good that I kind of think he is. But I, I don't know. Maybe it's just a really good accent.
1: But, I mean, all of that. He's telling you to join the supporters club. It takes down... Jonathan Galt, and he calls Malcolm Gladwell a hobby hobby jogger. All in one voicemail. I mean, and that begs the question, who gets a free Supporters Club membership? We have Des Linden, Boston Marathon champion. Since, I know, since joining the Supporters Club, she's broken the 50K 50K world record. Do you guys know we have another world record holder who's a Supporters Club member? Camille Heron? Camille Heron has joined the Supporters Club, and I think she'd already broken some world records. Pretty sure she broke another one after that. Maybe the 24-hour, maybe the 100. I don't even know how many records she has. So,
2: who gets a free membership?
1: Or no, everybody's got to pay up.
2: We're just, sorry. I think if you win a global gold, you should get a free membership just for that one year. Like, if Kipchoge wins Worlds this year, maybe we send him a free 159.40 t-shirt. I don't remember sending Camille Heron's shirt out, by the way. Camille, if please fill out the forms to get your free shirt. But can I talk about something? Y'all, y'all mentioned something about how he brought down Malcolm Gladwell, and that reminded me of something I never brought up on the podcast. Well, we were talking a few weeks ago about Gladwell, who was analyzing... Nick Willis versus Matthew Centowitz. He said, Matthew Centowitz did not belong in the same league as Nick Willis. And we, Jonathan and I wrote an article saying that wasn't true, blah, blah, blah. I got a text from one of the country's top middle distance coaches. And they made a very interesting point. And they said, if Nick Willis was an American his career would not be as, as long as it was as it was for New Zealand. And he's like, basically, Nick had the, you know, people use the term white privilege. He had the Kiwi privilege of all he needed to do was hit the standard he knew he was in Worlds. He didn't have to get ready for USAs. There was nothing that he really had to hit hard early in the year to make sure that he was on a team. He was always on the team and could just peak for that one race. So, interesting take, I thought.
0: Yeah, you can say that, but also, you know, we said he only won one, like, big, massively significant race in his career, which was the Commonwealth Games in 2006. I think he also would have won a pile of U.S. championships, and it depends how you value that as, like, a big race, but Centro won, what, 2011, 2013, 2015, 2016, 2018. He won five U.S. championships outdoors. I think if Nick Willis is in those races, Centro probably has fewer titles. Nick Willis wins a few of those.
2: I actually pulled up the tweet from June 2nd from this top coach, Centro v. Willis. First of all, Willis made teams by simply getting a standard. His path to the championship was remarkably easier. Secondly, in Rio, Centro made the entire world run his race in the moment it counted. He forced other guys to abandon their best chances to win. There is no comparing the two. Gold is everything. Willis would certainly not have had the longevity if he were an American.
0: All right, shall we move to more timely topics? We just had a terrific NCAA championships in Eugene. Got back from four days of fantastic track and field. I to ask you guys, you know, now that we've had a few days to breathe and absorb it, what are the big takeaways? What are you going to remember a few years from now about the 2022 NCAA championships?
2: That's a good way to think of it. I think if we're going to remember two things, maybe one, to be honest. Long-lasting, Caitlin Tui is an NCAA champion. And this young woman was absolutely amazing in high school. The greatest high school cross-country runner in U.S. history. How many NXN titles did she win? Three. And People were talking about her in ninth grade. I think she won a state title in eighth grade. And, uh, you know, I'd seen it with Mary Kane and Elise Crane and uh, Alexa Framson and all, Sarah Baxter. I was like, nope, I'm not going to get on the hype train. Let's wait till she's PRing at 18 or 19. Has a tough freshman year, I and mean, all American and cross country, but doesn't make the outdoor meet and has now arrived, fulfilled the potential. Absolutely. Amazing, inspiring. And I think some people misunderstand like the moment she wins, people put up a tweet, I mean, pull up a message board thread that I started two or three years ago when she was in high school. I said, who's a bigger prospect, Nico Young or Caitlin Tooley? And people are like, I'm tired of Rojo saying, don't talk about this. I'm not talking about it because I didn't want her to be good. I wanted her to be good, but it's like, we should not put false expectations on these people. Let them, enjoy their youth and see if they still have this talent later in life. So I'm thrilled by it. I just think it's amazing. And that was really cool. My other big takeaway though is super seniors matter. Age matters. The NCAA made a colossal mistake in giving everybody an extra COVID year. I mean, how many of these NCAA champions were 24, 25 years of age in their sixth and seventh years of college It's just it's kind of unfair to the younger people. And the story that's not being told is all of the high high school seniors that aren't getting scholarships because all the money's going to the people going to the extra year of college.
0: So, Robert, the point on the super seniors is interesting. I agree with you, Tui. I think that's one of the major takeaways, that she wins the NCAA title as a true sophomore. Really impressive run by her. She's had a great season, leads the NCAA in the 1500 and the 5000. Now she's the champ, but I feel like a lot of these guys would have men and women because it was both men and women who are winning these titles would have been in the NCAA anyway, because like, let's run through the Moed Zahafi. He needed to get like a waiver. He did five years of college in Morocco and he just needed to get a waiver to even come to compete in the NCAA. Somehow he got that at Texas Tech. He did one year and now he's out of eligibility. Joe Wascom. Of Washington, this is his third year in college. He won the 1500. You know, he would have been here anyway. Ahmed Jaziri is from Tunisia. He's 24. Like, a lot of these athletes are international athletes who generally are allowed to compete a little longer anyway. Like, Sinta Visa, the 1500 champ from Ole Miss, 25. another international athlete from Italy. Mercy Chalengart, 24, from Alabama, but maybe some of them got an extra year. The one athlete who it really did benefit was Olin Hacker, who is a seventh year senior. He's 25 years old at Wisconsin. You know, I was talking with someone in Eugene, and they just made the point like, he was supposed to be a fifth year senior in 2020. And if he had turned, if he had graduated then and moved on, he really wouldn't have gone any sort of pro interest or anything like that. He hadn't done that much as a collegian. Even though he was second at Footlocker's to Grant Fisher in 2014, and the two years really helped him because he was able to stay healthy, he was able to continue maturing, and this year he's just been a revelation. You know, he runs big PRs across the board. He's an All-American in cross. He's fourth indoors in the 3K, and then he runs 13:19, and he wins NCAA's outdoors in the 5000. And now, you know, he's an American NCAA 5K champion. He may be 25 years old, so maybe that pushes down his value, but he is going to get a pro contract somewhere. So for him, it's pretty life-changing to get those two extra years of eligibility in 21 and 22.
1: Well, and John didn't even acknowledge his dad, Tim, NCAA cross-country champion. And Robert's like, oh, the NCAA shouldn't have done it. The NCAA was trying to look after these kids' interests. They got screwed over. And they're like, hey, is it fair for these kids not to have a year? So they're making the best of a bad situation. One thing I had not thought about was how it impacts high schoolers coming out. There aren't as many scholarships available. So the high school kids who also got completely screwed over in high school had to probably, you know, it's not like that you could take a high school year off. You're doing high school remotely, and now you're a pretty good runner, and there's less scholarships available.
2: That's my main point. I'm happy for Owen Hacker. I I These people that don't use all their eligibility. Hey, man, if I'm in college, I'm using it all. Kudos to him. I'm not, I mean, I guess I am sort of taking a little bit away from the win. But my main point is the high schoolers. They got screwed. And you made a great point, Weldon. They got two years. If you're a junior in high school, you missed, some of these kids missed their junior and senior years of high school. Then they tried to run in college. And sorry, there's no scholarships available. So, I mean, it's just tough. I feel for them.
0: Yeah. No, it's an unfortunate situation for the high schoolers, certainly. But I also think the people who just point and say, like, these kids are overage, they shouldn't be able to compete in the NCAA. The NCAA is not... Okay, I think there is a hard age limit at 26, unless you have totally extenuating circumstances. But the NCAA is not an age group competition. It is a collegiate competition if you're in college. There has been athletes who are 23 or 24 winning titles for a long time. We hear this every time a BYU athlete like Connor Mance, people are complaining about that. Look, they're competing within the rules. I don't have an issue with it. And does that mean that a 22-year-old fourth-year senior, you know, someone who goes through the Ivy League, right? Are they going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage here? Yeah, maybe, but sorry, that's like, If you wanted to take a fifth year, go somewhere that allows red shirts, that sort of thing. Or they'll take a grad year somewhere. That's just kind of how the NCAA system operates. I think it's worth noting because it was a trend this year. We saw a lot of 23, 24, even 25-year-olds winning titles. But I'm not going to lose my... I'm not going to go crazy about it. I'm just going to say, hey, it's kind of an interesting trend, but they're competing within the rules. And one thing you didn't mention... Robert, in terms of big storylines, I mean, I view this as the Joseph Fumble weekend. I feel like we're gonna remember that. Now, he was already an NCAA champ. He was already fifth at the Olympics last year, but winning the 100 meters kind of changed how I thought of him. I always was like, that guy doesn't start quickly enough to be a world class 100 meter guy. You know, we know what he can do in the 200. But he has a little bit more room to get up to speed. But I always thought that start was going to hold him back. And he beat a very strong 100-meter field. Now, granted, the time, surprisingly, no one in that final broke 10 seconds, which I thought with the likes of Favor Ash, especially Makai Williams, who had an awful final. I don't know what happened to that guy. He was the red-hot favorite and really struggled. But Fumble just walked down the best guys in the NCAA in the 100 meters. I called it the first sit-and-kick. 100-meter final, because he was dead lost coming out of the blocks, yet he catches them all by the line, and Mike Holloway, his coach, said that he has the greatest top-end speed he's ever seen. This is coming from Mike Holloway, one of the greatest coaches in the world, so I thought that was a big deal, and he's still only 21 years old. He's still improving, so that, to me, fumble winning the 100 and then coming back and running nineteen eight to win the 200, that was a big takeaway for me.
1: I didn't know Kota always said that, but I was i was—I was going to pose the question. Is fambo does he have the fastest top-end speed of anyone ever in the world? I don't know enough about sprints. So maybe your top-end sprint is actually, you know, like 70 meters into 100 or whenever it is. But any sprint experts want to know, please send me that. Or does he just, it takes him so long to get going, he reaches a speed, it's not as fast as someone's speed older earlier in the race but he can just hold it because he's like a tank and it takes a while for him actually to slow down too because once you get
0: a body of mass like that going it keeps going oh wow Well, then using the laws of physics and momentum to make your argument there i gotta think is not bolt during his 1919 doesn't that have to be the fastest a human's ever moved propelled by his own legs i can't like i know farm takes longer to get going so maybe he has a much higher top speed compared to other people, but it's I I can't imagine that he's still he's faster than Bolt when he ran nineteen nineteen, right? You're probably right, but
1: I think a lot of people aren't contemplating whether a ten flat guy and a guy who's only been fifth in the world might be the fastest guy to actually ever run.
0: Well, the interesting thing here is Mike Holloway also coaches Arian Knight. So to say, and Arian Knight's run 19.49 for two hundred this year. So to say that he has the top, the highest top end speed, and that he's never seen anything like it, and this is a guy who coaches the greatest sprint phenom since Usain Bolt. That to me is very high praise.
2: Yeah, obviously, Fombo may be the biggest story long term in the men's side. I thought we were talking distance to begin with, but what was interesting to me, John, was this Mike Hallway about him acknowledging his strengths. And focusing on that. And it seems like they're downplaying. Like, Don't worry about the star too much. And a very similar thing happened at this USATF NYC Grand Prix. By the way, I criticize USATF all the time. I'm happy. I guess USATF was the title sponsor of this meet. They put on this meet. It was on national TV. It was in New York. NBC did a wonderful job on the broadcast. I loved Lewis Johnson's interviews with the fans in the background. It was great. It was a really enjoyable meet, John. For some reason, this meet was just much better to watch on TV than most. So... Thumbs up to them. But what struck me at that meet was Noah Lyles, they had him mic'd up. I, I don't know if the international viewers got to see this on the international feed, but they had like a mic on him when he was like warming up. So they were talking to him throughout the two-hour broadcast. And he said, you know what, did you think about running the 100? And he's like, I, I was working on my start and I talked to some experts and we were working on this and that, but your body just goes back to what it wants to do, what it's most natural to do. And I just said, Screw it. We're not going to worry about it anymore. We're just going to worry about the start in the 200 where I'm more comfortable. We're not going to run the one. It doesn't sound like he's even going to be running the 100. And I like this. It's like, we're going to focus on our strengths kind of, I mean, they're still going to work on the weaknesses, but I don't know. Just sometimes you get, it's like these steeplers, like they get so worried that they can't get over the barrier that they're they're working on all the time. They get frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. And I was reading by the way, in the Portland track festival this week. Um, who's the BT, uh, Courtney Fryricks. She didn't have a good one. She fell in the last water jump, but someone, someone in the comments in the message board was saying, yeah, she was really frustrated warming up. I could see her trying to hurdle. She was struggling and you get, you start focusing on your weaknesses. And sometimes I think it can really go against you. So Fonbo is like, if, if the coach says to you, Hey man, you're the fastest guy ever right, that I've ever seen. If this is one of the best coaches in the world. That's going to give you confidence. If no Lyles, like, he wants to be a one he wanted to be a one two man and be the bolt. Maybe that's not in the cards. Just focus on the two. He's pretty damn good at the two. 196 1 was good for him.
0: Yeah, Robert, I don't know if you listened to our interview with Mike Holloway, but he basically said the same thing about Farm Buller. He said what was holding him back in the past is he was trying to be the best starter. He was worrying about that, and he's on social media. He sees people talking about his start. And I think that got in his head. And What they were able to do this year is just accept, look, you're not going to be first out of the blocks. You're not going to be the best starter, but you have the best top end speed. And if you can focus on getting up to that speed sooner, if you watch his race, you know, once he gets to 30 meters, he's really getting up close to his top speed. And they're saying, look, as long as you just don't get, if you're in touching distance, 30 meters into the race, you're going to win. Because no one's going to be able to close like you. So that's really what they've done. And clearly it worked at NCAAs in the 100. The 200, he has even more room to run. And the only bummer for Fambula, he had the best anchor leg in that 4x1 relay as well. And he just got the baton a little bit too far behind USC. USC had a 400 guy, Johnny Blockburger, anchoring. And Fambula almost got him. It would have been an epic triple, but USC just held him off.
2: I love that race because the USC guy, he knew that he got passed after the line. He wasn't sure if he got passed before the line. So he was, you know, but he, I think as a 400 guy, he's not. there's no shame in getting walked down by Fambula. So he ended up being very happy. Um, the other big storyline, obviously, if we're going to talk the whole meet, I mean, Abby Steiner, how incredible was she? 10-9 in the, in the 100 prelims. Only runs 11 which, hey, not bad, but third in the 100, but then comes back 2180, which is NCA record by a ton. Just destroys the field. That's fast enough. I mean, that's faster than when Gabby Thomas ran to win the Olympic bronze medal last year, 2183. And then that four by four split, like visually, I think she was on the second or third leg. Third leg must have been the third leg. I know the other people in front of her did not run that fast, but that was maybe visually the greatest. Well, I, well, I guess when was it to win the title, John? The big... Oh, the
0: well, there was there was two epic four by fours. There was Raven Rogers in 2017 for the triple crown, and then there was Kendall Ellis in 2018, running down Purdue from either further behind to win the so national title in the final race of the old Haywood Field. So it, there are some pretty epic recent. So, I probably should not
2: fours. say it's greater than that without comparing the three. he put all three on and run them at once, but she was. In fourth place, probably about twenty meters back, it was incredible, and she split, she's, she's regularly splitting forty eights. So, I'm I'm trying to think like, have we ever? And it, I don't want to do hyperbole, but has there ever been a woman in the history of the world that can run a one hundred that fast, a two hundred that fast, and a four hundred that fast? I mean, the one
0: person I'm thinking of here is Allison Felix, Robert, and maybe it's blasphemy, but. Allison Felix was world-class in all four, all three of those events, and Abby Steiner certainly is looking like that as well. I think, probably as a pro, her future lies in the 200-400, but she's running 10-9. It's not like she's chopped liver in the 100 either. Now, I'm not saying she's going to be as good as Allison Felix, but she's the one that comes to mind in terms of one who can do all three. It's interesting because, John, until this
1: podcast... I don't know, I viewed her as 100, 200 person because that's kind of more what she did. I guess she would do the 4 by 4s She g- gets a lot of attention. It's unusual. You know, she's a white sprinter. And I was like, oh, she's a little more hype than substance, even though she was really good. And now I've completely come around. I mean, the time at NCAAs and then I'm starting thinking once Robert's said anyone else, I am gonna immediately go to Allison Felix and I'm like, wait, she's a 200, 400 runner who just happens to have a good 100-meter speed. Like, she's fast. She's Allison Felix. Not that she'll, you know, necessarily ever have a career like Allison Felix, but that's the model for her.
2: Allison Felix's 100-meter PB is 10.89. There's only two years in her life that Allison Felix actually broke 11 seconds. 2008 and 2012. And the crazy thing about Alison Felix is I mean she's had such a long career. She's 36 now. She's run these are world titles of 225, 2005, 2007, 2009. That's all in the 200 then 2015 in the 400. So she won three in the 200, John, one in the 400. Then Olympic gold in the 200. Anyways, the women weren't as fast back then. Guess how many years Alison Felix has broken 22 seconds in the 200? This is her baby. Two.
0: got to be more than that, John. Yeah, well, she was a three, yeah, right, three-time global champion. It's probably 4 Four-time. I don't four time know. Four. Okay. Four-time global champion.
2: Okay, she did it in... He did it six times, six different years.
0: Okay, that to me is not a very illuminating stat. That's kind of what I would expect. Like, I guess I didn't predict it, but <laughs> so clearly I didn't expect it. But like that, okay, she broke it six separate years. She's had a long career. That's pretty. You want it to be ten? Like that's still pretty outstanding to do it six different years.
2: I'm saying she's not doing it every year. So to run twenty one eight is pretty darn good.
0: Yes, of cu- of course.
1: And I think the Felix model is interesting because Steiner. I guess now, if, if your viewers are 400 or a 100 runner, really was sort of viewed as a 200 specialist. And it's kind of amazing that that was Allison's career until she took on the 400 sort of later in her career. And I guess at the, she ran the Rome Diamond League, speaking of Felix, what, last week. We talked about that on the Friday 15 podcast. We'll maybe have a couple more comments on Rome. She ran the 200 there. It sounds like that, that might be her last Diamond League meet ever. So maybe Worlds could be it for her. I mean, just retire at Worlds. But I, I, don't, I didn't think that would be the case. But just an amazing, amazing career. I mean, Tokyo last year was so shocking. The non-running public's like, oh, Allison Felix, she's going to get a medal. Nobody expected that. I mean, she raised her game so big last year, Tokyo. And, and, and the rounds and the final.
0: Well, I don't know if nobody expected it, but because you could tell USA's the way she was coming on that she was on the right trend. But yes, it was a ridiculous achievement. She ran faster than she did in 2015 when she won Worlds in that final. Like it was sensational. So, yeah, all respect to Alison Felix. But okay, a couple other storylines from NCAA's I wanted to touch on. We need to talk about this men's 1500. Because one, it was a terrific race. It's exactly what you want to see from a 1500. The strategy, we had an upset winner, Joe Wascom from Washington, taking down the indoor mile champion, Mario Garcia Romo. But my biggest takeaway now on the Let's Run.com podcast is Robert going to resign his position on the show. Because two of the tenets that he is held to is he thinks I talk too much about Andy Powell, the Washington coach. And he thinks that being boxed in is not that big a deal. And what happened in this race is Washington went 1-5-7. All Andy Powell coached athletes and Mario Garcia Romo lost because he was boxed in on the final curve, didn't get room to run until too late on the home straight and was not able to run down Joe Wascom. So Robert, I will accept your resignation if you're willing to offer it.
2: Well, there's no way for me to prove this, John, but actually when I saw some Washington kid I'd never heard of winning, I was happy for Andy Powell. I just like the coaches to come down to earth a little bit. They always think it's them. It's not them. It's the athletes. I'm not saying there aren't great coaches. There are. Like, by the way, Ryan Van Hoy at Ole Miss is a great coach. I think you can tell he's a great coach. These people are consistently good. Did you anyone see the meet that the Oklahoma State runners had at this meet? They were fantastic as well. Dave Smith's a great coach. Andy Powell's a good coach. But, like, you have to have talent. And... I don't know. He had a lot of talent with King Chaz. When you have one superstar, it sort of makes up for a lot of other stuff you don't notice. So it was good for him, to me, to see him sort of, I want to say they were struggling, but not do great at Washington for a while. And then now they can win. So that was good. The box, I'm going to make a video of his tactics. I think the box probably cost him the win, Garcia Romo. But that Wascom kid ran a great race. I mean, he made two huge moves and had a lot of run in him. But if you're going to say that, then you, you know, when I walked into the office, the one John Kellogg was raving about was Sam Ellis at Princeton. He was closing faster than anybody in the last 100. So he was boxed just behind Garcia Romo. It was, it was a fun race. I thought it was a cool race. Oh, and by the way, this is what bothers me though. Next year, everyone's going to be like, Andy Powell's a God. Why? Because all the Ivy leaguers are going there. He's got some connection. All the Ivy leaguers used to spend their extra year at Oregon. Now they're all going to Washington. Sam Ellis, third in the mile, Washington. Ed Trippis, 820 in the steeple Olympian, Washington. Kaylee DeLay, second in the steeple, Washington. So I, I think I could coach those. Th- I think I could score at least 20 points with those three next year, coaching them remotely. I mean,
0: that's an interesting point there, Robert. Four of the top seven from this race will be returning to the University of Washington because you've got Joe Wascom the winner, Sam Ellis, third, Princeton, fifth year, Luke Hauser, Washington, sophomore, fifth place, Nathan Green, freshman, Washington, seventh place. So put those two, in, let's put them on a four-by-mile and see if they can go after some big stuff. I'm excited for that.
2: But what really most impressed me by this was when I read this guy was in the steeple last year, was fast in the steeple, tried it two events this year. It wasn't working out. And then Coach Powell said, let's try the 1500. That to me is brilliant coaching. You're, you're actually thinking, I think a lot of times you're 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 trying to, sh- you're not really looking at what's happening. You're not looking at the results, the workouts or whatever you think, okay, this should work. This person did this last year. They're going to do this. And then you're not actually observing no, this isn't working. Let's try something else. And this is the opposite story of everything I've ever heard of. Every runner in the history of the world has wanted to be a miler, wanted to be a miler, wanted to be a miler, and they only leave the mile when they can't cut it in the mile. This kid's trying to be a chaser. It's not working out, drops down to the damn 1500, wins the national title. Hats off to Mr. Boscombe and Mr. Powell, because that's amazing. And by the way, when we talk about RG3's commentating, it's similar to what I'm talking about the coaching a lot of commentators aren't watching what they see. A lot of coaches aren't watching what they see at practice. So, amazing job for them. Great run.
0: Well, I think you're overrating that a little bit. He wasn't doing well. He's the three forty three fifteen hundred 1500 guys going into the season. He's not having success at the steeple. I don't think it takes an absolute genius to yank him out from the steeple and go back to that event. But what I do think is sets the stage for the Let's Run podcast in 2027 when he's not winning the gold medal every year at the world championships. Now we have the seeds for Robert to say, Joe Wascom needs to go back to the steeplechase. Just like he's been banging that drum with Jenny Simpson for the last decade.
1: Yeah. Robert might be hyping this up a bit, but I think it's somewhat related to the Fambula thing. Play to your strengths. But Robert says it never happens. Uh, Jakob Ingebrigtsen. He first came up as a steepler.
0: Uh, Would we call Jakub Ingebrigts in a steeple, uh, I feel like he just ran it to qualify for Worlds in 2017. It's like, all right, what's? I don't have the standard. What's the easiest event for me to qualify in? Oh, I can do it in the steeple.
2: I see what you guys are saying, but do you think, okay, yeah, he was a 403-miler in high school, 343. Putting him in the 1500 wasn't like rocket science. It wasn't like putting him in the javelin. Oh, wait, he's not doing well in the steeple. Let's put him in the javelin and see how he does. But Do you think that, like, when they made this move two months ago, they had any thought that this guy would win the national title in the 1500?
0: No, because otherwise he would have been doing the the 1500 from the start of the year. He, Like, Robert, it's crazy. He was the third fastest guy by season's best on his team going into this meet. Now, he did win the Pac-12 meet using a similar move. But, yeah, I'm certainly... I, did, I don't think I even mentioned him in our preview, and maybe I should have mentioned the Pac-12 champ, but like the, we, this was a crazy event. We had the NCAA record holder, Elliot Kip-Sang, bombs out in the first round. Uh, Anna Sasai from South Carolina, the Olympian, who's run 334, we hyped up. He led pretty much his entire prelim, but then he stepped on the rail Injured something. He didn't even, he dropped out with like 100 to go. I think he might have still been in qualifying position when he stepped off the track. So that was really weird. Those two guys are out. and I'm like, well, Mario Garcia Romo, who's going to stop this guy? So Wascom stepped up. But what I really liked about this race, and I can't wait to see your tactical breakdown, is just before 200 to go, Wascom and Garcia Romo were basically right next to each other. Garcia Romo was on the rail. Wascom was just to his right, and they were both kind of faced with this choice. Waska made the bold decision he was going to go hard. He launched into his kick and was basically all out from that point to the finish line, and I saw him going that hard. I'm like, man, I don't know if he's going to be able to hold that. Like, going from 200 meters out in a 1500, that's a long way to the finish line still. But he held on, and Garcia Romo... Didn't have as much room to run, but he sort of banked. He would stay on the rail, and then it would open up for him. Both men took a risk with that strategy, which is the greatest thing about the 1500, is when there's not one clear guy who's, like, way better than everyone else. You've got to take some risks. And Wascombs is the one that worked out. Garcia Romo, the rail didn't open up until very late, and he wasn't able to get going. But sometimes you've got to lay it out there and make a choice, and I just think it makes for fascinating racing.
2: It was a wonderful race. I loved it. I think the big mistake Garcia Marmo made was at the 1,000-meter mark. He had the lead, and then he let them come around him. It, you know, Matthew Centrowitz has said this. He's like, when I was leading when we get to 800 in the Olympics at 230 or whatever it was, I could never give up that lead. Now, the problem is sometimes people run stupid fast and they make you accelerate, but just you got to go with it. You got to hold them off because you just can't give it up.
0: It's the number one advice you have. If you're in the lead at it- halfway and it's like 2.30, you have the biggest advantage over anyone in the field because you're running the shortest distance. And it's, yeah, you, you really can't afford to give it up at that point. At the
2: 1,020 mark, like in the Olympics, some guys came around and he kind of was starting to get boxed in and he like shimmied in to the inside and around him. Garcia Roma kind of had the same option. It's kind of risky. You could trip or fall or whatever. So, you know, but that was was a, a fun, exciting race. Speaking of not mentioning the winners, did we even mention the women's 800 meter winner in the preview?
0: I absolutely did. No. Christy Schofield of Boise State. And the reason I did this is because she fit a very similar profile to last year's champion, Michaela Meyer. Uh, Michaela Meyer improved a ton her final year. She was PRing a lot and going all the way down to 158 to finish fourth at the Olympic trials. But she was just the hot pick going into the meet, and the question was, can she sustain it because she hadn't really competed at this level before? She did. Schofield was a little different because she actually made NCAAs in 2019, but had been through a lot of Boise State. This was her, She's on her third coach now in five years, which I was asking her what changes he made, and she said he made a bunch, but we wouldn't really go into specifics. But... She's just sort of finally settled into a situation where she's healthy and consistent. And that has allowed her to flourish. And she she got a huge PR at the Mountain West Championship, or PR at the Mountain West Championships, This was her first PR for like three years. Then she PRs again at regionals and again to win NCAA. So she is just a case of she was the hot pick coming in, the trendy runner. And I I totally mentioned her in the preview, Robert, but I didn't pick her.
2: I just think it's a wonderful story. Like, stick with it. Don't give up on the dream. She doesn't break 205 for almost three years when she runs Mountain West, and now she's running... What was it, 201 flat to win it? Yeah. I mean, just 201 consistently. So, so cool to see that.
0: A couple other events I wanted to hit that we had the t- the upset in the 10K. I guess we talked about Dylan Jacobs taking down Updinor a little bit on the Friday fifteen for the supporters club members last week, letsrun.com slash subscribe. But how costly do we think that was for Abdi Noor in terms of you know his pro deal? He was he a was heavy favorite in this race, and he didn't run awful. He made the right strategic decisions. He just didn't have the 55 lost lap. Dylan Jacobs running in Vaporflies closes in 55. Abdi Noor only has a 57 on the lost lap. So what'd you make of that race?
2: I thought he didn't look good. 55 is not that fast. Certainly by world-class standards, but I don't know. Sometimes, John, you seem to think like, oh, this race costs them all this money and this race costs them that much money. And maybe it's true, but if these shoe companies are smart, and I'm I'm not sure, I honestly think a lot of these people signing these contracts aren't that smart. Like, honestly, like hire me as your consultant. I'll tell you to hire who to to sign for money and stuff. But you're signing them. uh, When I was recruiting, I didn't care about your times. I cared about your talent. I wasn't recruiting times. I was recruiting talent. And to be honest, at Cornell, when I'm... The kid's not going to normally come to Cornell when he can go to Stanford, when he can go to Princeton, he can go to Yale, he can go to Harvard. So I kind of would prefer that they had didn't have the times. But if I could figure out they had the talent by talking to them or what their training was or they were hurt, man, I was excited to get that. And, you know, whether you win or lose, I don't know, like a goose. Oh, he's lost so much money. Well... Did he? I think he might have gotten a lot of the money back because he's run 334 again. He's better than everybody else in the college scene. So it certainly didn't help Nur. I mean, Weld was raving about him as a superstar, this and that, now you see this and you're like, eh, I don't know. It's pretty hard to be pro.
0: Well, I want to, all right. I want to talk about another NAU athlete, Nico Young. He was third in the f- in the 5,000. And Robert, when you were talking to the show, you said, like, oh, you said, oh, you need to mention Nico Young in the, in the introduction to the show, because people care about Nico Young. And, you know, he mentioned the fact that he lost, but I don't, I don't view this as a bad performance by any means by Nico Young. I know he did have the fastest seed time in the field, but he's a 19-year-old sophomore racing against six- and 70-year seniors. He ran pretty well. He finished third in this race. He closed in 55-2. I don't think coming into college we thought of Nico Young as a big kicker at all. So to me, he's he's still got some work to do on his kick, but that's pretty solid for a thirteen twenty eight race, thirteen twenty seven race. I, I've been very impressed by what I've seen from Nico Young this year. I think he's on the right trajectory. Mike Smith's doing a great job with him. And yeah, I think if you're Nico Young, he's got one more race to go at USA's, but you've got to come away really happy with how his sophomore years unfolded.
2: Look, on the voice of the fans, I want you to mention him because he's popular. People are like, oh, Rojo's ripping him. I'm like, he didn't win. I thought he ran fine. And I'm saying I wanted you to mention him because I think he would have won if he didn't have to compete against six and seven senior seniors. He's run 337. It's like a 355 mile. That's pretty good. He wasn't, he's never been known for having the best wheels. I think he's doing well. And I think we can get to this discussion in a second. Who's the better pro prospect, Nico Young or Caitlin Tui? I started this discussion. I think the moment NXN ended when they were in high school, a lot of people are like, it's an inappropriate time to be starting this. Maybe. But again, I'm starting it for the fan. I'm not trying to, I'm just thinking, as a fan, who do you think has the better prospect? Maybe we should have a disclaimer on the message board that pops up. If you are a pro or a high schooler or whatever, and this thread is about you, you may not want to read it. I'm the voice of the fans. I get fans such things to talk about, but there was an interesting post on the message board about Nico young, probably from some old timer, probably our age or older, my age or older. And he said something like, like he, he was complaining, like Nico young doesn't run with the same passion and desire to win that Adam Goucher desired. He's like, Adam Goucher, you could just sit, see, see it in his face that he wanted to win and but he's like but he has more talent than adam goucher and i understand what they're talking about but hey i don't think adam goucher ever won a track title you can't will yourself to win it and what's interesting is wait,
0: what do you mean adam goucher never won a track title of course he did college and pros he he won national titles
2: I stand corrected. I was getting him confused with Nathan Ritzenheim. Goucher won three NCAA titles in indoor 3,097, 98, 5,098. But Goucher was like Alan Webb. Like he ran to win. And, but the weird thing is like being a little bit more just calm or whatever, or just sticking to the process, kind of like a Nick Willis. You may have a longer career. You may have a better career. There's nothing negative about it. I kind of see what they're saying, John. Nico kind of runs in the pack. He doesn't see like he's not forcing it. And that can be a good thing. I like to claim weird analogy, but in ninth grade, Weldon was lazy and I, we we were in high school. I tried to run with the seniors every day. He was kind of just, well, I've only run two miles. I'll run three now. I'm like, they're running six. I'm running six and I got hurt. He didn't get hurt, but by being more relaxed, he gradually built up and then he became way better fourth in the country. So I think Nico Young is making appropriate steps. People want to see him going for broke. This guy wanted to see him going for broke like 300 meters out, even if he finishes eighth. I think Nico Young knows his body pretty well. I think they're doing a good job with him.
0: My question to you though, Robert, same one from two years ago. Who do you have as better pro prospect right now to or young?
2: I was going to try to come up with this elaborate, complicated answer. Like it depends on what you mean by pro prospect. Like, most likely to make an Olympic team or like most likely to medal. And I was going to kind of say, I think it's easier to make the team on the women's side, but it's harder to medal. Like. But then I'm like, wait a minute. To be honest, in the events that these two people run right now, if they end up running the five and the 10. Uh, there's not a lot of white Americans meddling in either one of these events. Please
1: stop with that. Galen Rupp got a medal in 2012 Olympics. I mean, like, how
0: blind do you have to be? He said not a lot, Weldon. Galen Rupp won one medal. Is there any other white American who's medaled in the 5K or 10K recently? And there's been one black American. I mean, like... Wh- like Well, uh, Lagarde wh- and Chelimo, so that's two. And then, I mean, on the women's side, Emily Infeld. Mel, well, you want to go back to Goucher and Shalane Flanagan? I mean, if we're counting men and women...
1: Yeah, so Robert's,
0: Robert was wrong actually. Yeah, I don't really know what point he's trying to make, but
2: the point that I'm trying to make is he's trying to encourage them
1: not to, that they can't do well because of the color of their skin. It's disgusting.
2: I don't
0: think what he's that's what he's trying to say. Robert's just trying to do the realities that it's very hard for an American. I guess uh, I no, should, no matter what color uh, your skin is, to right. meddle in, in either of those events, even
2: in the 1500s, who's been meddling in the 1500s? Well, yeah, just don't mention their skin color. It's just not necessary. Okay. Non-East African genetics, should I say that? And yes, Kara Goucher and Shailene Flanagan meddled, but you all do realize, and Brett Lorner And him, Winfield. Okay. But you all do realize that I think it's getting harder and harder on the women's side. You know, Brett Lorner had an interesting piece last week in Japan comparing the number of women's world championship qualifiers they had on the women in the marathon to men it's a lot less and he's like look is this because japan is a very much male dominated sexist society are the women not doing as well even the women historically have done better in the marathon in terms of medals and i thought it was an interesting take africa whether you guys want to admit it or not was is still a very sexist place was much more sexist of a place twenty years ago than it is now, and I think as the, as the sexism goes down, you may see more African women coming up to the top.
1: Well, I think for sure we see that in Kenya, and yes, there are sociological differences and maybe racial and genetic differences, but like you're not some geneticist, so like just going there all the time, it just it's like unnecessary. But for sure, for Kenya, we have pointed this out. I think Kenyan women on the track had never meddled until. It might have been as late as 2009. I could look it up. Maybe it was 2007, somewhere in there. It, it's crazy late, and we're seeing it, it's going to be a lot harder. But at the at, the thing is, at the Worlds and the Olympics, there's only three people per country. But, John, I mean, I had to step away for a moment, and I came back. I, I'm just glad that Robert acknowledged, I shouldn't be too upset with him, that, that Nico Young is the me of the 2020s. I mean, I, who knew our careers would be equivalent just an honor for. I'm sure Nico feels really honored to be, you know, in the same sentence as me. <laughs> Some hack who was got fourth at USA's twice, but it's for me. Who's the better medal prospect? I think there might be a difference. Probably Nico. I don't know. It's just good to see them both running well, and I see how people are saying that. Does Nico have? the killer instinct maybe he was just good in high school and doesn't have the killer instinct but people want to force it you know it's like when you don't win they're like oh they don't have the killer instinct and then when they do they're like oh the guy is so competitive it's like i uh, which came first usain bolt pointing the finger at the stars you know that makes him win or no he started winning then he started pointing the finger at the stars
0: yeah all right first of all i got to jump in the mispronunciations in this podcast have been egregious we had an Usain we had a Fryricks. I think we had a Shay Lane in there we had an Infield I mean guys these are people we've covered for a decade they really shouldn't be making those mistakes but yeah also the killer instinct wait, thing wait, I think this is what, totally did I just say something wrong what name did I just say wrong you said Usain Bolt and you also said Emily Infield
1: which is what's her name
0: Emily Infeld.
1: Okay. But Usain Bolt, I've Usain Bolt for the last 10 years. You never felt to correct me in the podcast until two weeks ago.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just feel like it's important that we say his name right. But, all right, first of all, this this killer instinct thing, I just think you guys are way overrating. Adam Gaucher was good because he was ridiculously talented and he trained his ass off. The killer instinct thing, I mean, okay, maybe sometimes this might come into play. I, I don't hear anyone else complain, like, did Olin Hacker beat Nico Young because he had a bet? He had more of a killer instinct. I haven't heard anyone complain about this thing with Nico Young. I I think this is vastly overrated here.
1: If we want to rile up people a little more, I'll, I'll never forget. I think it was the Worlds in Moscow. Somebody came up and said, oh. "Ah, yeah, that's the difference between Alberto's boys and Jerry's boys. Alberto's boys are running out there running like they're expecting to medal. Jerry's are running like they're hoping to medal."
0: Okay. I mean, Evan Jager in his championship finals ran out there to win. And like a lot of, uh, Mohamed, you think he's just running to medal? And uh, I don't know. I, actually, I feel like...
1: The more I think about it, it might have been actually in relation to Jager at that race. Um, let me look up the results.
0: Well, Jager also wasn't at the same level in 2013 as he was the rest of that decade. The rest of the decade he could run for win, to win. 2013, he wasn't going to win. So I think that maybe is a little unfair. Robert, we had this long diatribe, and somehow you never answered my original question: Is who do you think is the better pro prospect, Tui or Young?
2: I'm better at playing devil's advocate, John. Why don't you tell me first, and then I'll respond. I'll tell you whether your logic is good or not.
0: Oh, see, my logic is I just view them very, very similarly. I don't, I don't think one has a significant edge. I view their NCAA performances as basically the same. Tui relative to young probably has run a little faster in the 1500 406 versus 337. But I think the big thing for me is, but neither of them are known as huge kickers, but they've both improved their kick through two years of college. And to me, the one that's going to have the most success is the one that can continue to kick down. You need to, to be a factor in the men's side. You need to be kicking in 53 seconds in these races. And if Nico Young can get to that place, he's gonna be the more successful prospect. The women's side, I kind of feel like a kick isn't as important because of how the fifty the 10,000 10, has been run in recent years. But also it's just it's being run so quickly that it takes almost all the Americans out of it. So maybe I would say Young, I give him a hair. Of an edge, but I think I view them as very, very similar pro, pos- pro, sp- pro prospects.
2: That's kind of where I am. I feel like I should say one definitely or the not. I mean, Caitlin Tui did lead the NCAA in the 1500. Nico Young didn't. But then I'm like, okay, how far off are their times from like being like competitive on the Diamond League? And sort of to be competitive, really competitive in the Diamond League... I don't know if if Nico Young takes six seconds off his fifteen hundred meter PB, he's running three thirty one. That's competitive. What's Cole Hawker's PB? Three thirty one, basically. I mean, you're you're top seven in the in the Olympics. If you take six seconds off Tui's time, that's four flat. It's pretty similar, maybe a little bit behind on the men. So in some ways, you could say, or another way to think about it is take to twelve seconds off, and they're kind of ru- eleven seconds off. He's running the world record. She's got to go 17, but she's really got to go about 10 or 11 to get close to what the best in the world is. So I think they're both doing great. And I love how they're enjoying it. Life's not about money. Maybe they could be making more money if they were pros. I would stick right where they are.
0: Oh, I don't think they I don't think they'd make I mean they both get pro contracts if they went pro, but I think I don't see any reason for either of them to leave. They're both in good environments. They have a good team structure. Kaitlin Tui was, she kept saying the word fun all the time. She's like, how have you, we were asking her, you know, you had a little bit of a rough introduction to college running. You had a lot of pressure and expectations. And she just said that the team, like she has fun with her teammates. This trip, they had five NC State women in the 5,000. She said it was the most fun she'd ever had in a trip to a meet. Just keeping it fun. Look, it's, it is easier to keep it fun when you're healthy and winning, but having teammates to get you through the rough patches and make it worthwhile, I think that's been a big key to her success. Now, before we leave the NCAA conversation, I did want to point this out. Roberts, Princeton Tigers did have a great meet, but the highest finish by an Ivy League distance runner at this meet actually was a Yale Bulldog, Kaylee DeLay. Surprise of the meet well, maybe one of the biggest surprises of the meet. Her PR going in was 940. She runs 925. She's now the third fastest collegian in history. She's faster than Jenny Simpson or Emma Coburn ever ran in a college uniform. 925 to finish second in the steeple behind Courtney Wayman's 916 collegiate record. And Courtney Wayman ran a fantastic race. I mean, that was that's the fastest time in the U.S. this year. She deserves a ton of credit. But Weldon, I will give you this space to discuss Kaylee DeLay, the hero of New Haven.
1: Thank you, John. Thank you. I had to step away. I hope you guys didn't do this without me. I mean, wow. But seriously, I mean, this website's motto is where your dreams become reality. We're all about the breakthrough. Now, granted, she was 10th at NCA Cross, so she's got a good pedigree. But I watched the prelims. She made the final on time. She ran 9.43.86. And then in the final, I don't know what it was. This was like her Frank Shorter moment. Another yale Olympic gold and silver medalist in the marathon. And it's pouring rain. I don't know if this distracted her or what, but Courtney takes off, and Kaylee's the one who sort of goes with her, and next thing you know, 9.25.08. No, I guess... Without court in front, she never runs that time. But the NCA record was nine twenty four forty one coming in. I mean, as you said, John, this is the number three time ever. This is crazy, where your dreams become reality stuff. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it also because I know there's Yaleys who listen to this podcast. I had a, I mean, I, I've never met Katie. I, I had a hurdler email me offering to help me. Kaylee.
0: What? Her name's Kaylee. I said Kaylee. No, you said Katie.
2: No, I didn't. We'll replay. <laughs> yes, you said you Katie. Did. You said Katie for the record. I didn't. We have the
0: audio. <laughs> okay. Well, you won't like the receipts, Walden, when you listen to it back. But Kaylee DeLay.
1: Anyway, I got an email from the Yale track coach. Final results from the NCAA track and field championships. Like what? That's all we get? It needs to be big headline. Kaylee DeWay second at NCAAs. Oh my MG! Like. This is like the same email we get when we got last at the heps on the men's side. It's like, you know, heps, I don't know if we even got an email. It might be like heptagonal results or Ivy League championship results. Like, this needs to be celebrated. Like, great job to her. Bula, bula. Keep it up. One of my, the Yale men's team hasn't won the Ivy League cross-country title since the 40s. It's got to be the longest streak of futility. Come on, guys. You can do it. You can do it.
0: All right. I did want to pay tribute here to Courtney Wayman because she ran a terrific race, smashed the NCAA record even though it was pouring rain in the middle of that race. 9.16, fastest time in the U.S. this year. Now, given that the other two American steeple stars, Emma Coburn and Courtney Frerichs, Coburn ran 9.18 at pre, Frerichs ran 9.20, and then Frerichs also ran the Portland Track Festival over the weekend. That one, it was totally pouring during the race. It was horrible conditions. She also fell in the water jump. She got beat and ran 9.35, but do you give Wayman any chance of beating those two women at USA's? Or do you think there's still a gap between Frerichs and Coburn and everyone else? Yes, there's a gap.
1: Emma Coburn ran a really good 1500 for her at Portland Track Festival. So it's about five seconds faster than she ran like a m- few weeks before. So I think she's rounding into form. She has the obviously the pedigree in the steeple, so I expect her to be at another level. But could Weyman run like a nine ten and contend? Possibly. I don't have a lot of confidence in Freyrich right now. I think she could get beat.
2: Look, I talked to Freyrich a pre. She's struggling with anemia, celiac disease. Weyman could maybe beat her. I'm not guaranteeing that because Freyrich is, is extremely talented, extremely tough. But she's not beating Coburn. This was an A-plus race to get to 9.15. Coburn's B race is
0: 9.15. Yeah, but I see it the same way as you guys.
2: I, I, I've i been doing this a little bit more, a little more research here. I got to go with Nico Young still being the better pro prospect. Despite what Weldon says, Weldon thinks that 19 is the normal age of a high school Senior Nico Young, do you guys realize he is still 19 years of age? He was born on July 27th, 2002. Weldon and I were born on July 24th. We were 19 when we started college. He's 19 starting his sophomore year of college. He's very young. He looks, he actually looks young. Weldon was young. I think if you look young, you develop later. Look, Galen Rupp didn't have a kick at this age either. His kick became pretty damn good. So anyways, so that's that. Clearing up old, old business. I've been showing y'all this napkin. My colleague, the great John Kellogg came over. He often hears me during the podcast, and we said, who else has this type of range as Abby Steiner? Well, he's got the answer. Greatest range in history right here, folks. Because John's a man of the 80s. Marita Cock, coach. How do you say her name, John? Coke, according to John, 10.83 and 100, 21.71, and
0: 47.60. Okay, should we really be praising someone who was like the poster child of the East German doping regime, Robert?
2: Just trying to be factual in this day and age of fake news. And-
0: All right, let's move on to the USATF NYC Grand Prix, which was held on Sunday. I agree with you, Robert. I watched this meet. Credit to USATF for putting it on. We say we need more competitions in the big cities. I couldn't get a good look at the crowd. We need to talk to, if you were there, what was that crowd like? Suddenly, sound like they did get into it, but I couldn't tell if it was sold out or not. Well, what it- sold out? Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. John, Rita, I guess John's so busy like, busy like looking up stats during the thing. For some reason, they'd come back from break and like show the crowd... And the entire, like, right half of the the stadium, which this stadium does not seat many people, is, like, mostly empty. And I'm like, they can just show the shot of the left-hand side and make it look fuller. But, no, my one takeaway, yeah, great job they put on the meet. We meet, meet meets in New York. Like, there was an Omega event the night before. The athletes can do sponsorship stuff related to it for Noah Lyles. So it's good to have meets in New York. But, like, Let's run, Robert, we should put money to help get high school kids and buses to go to these meets, like track programs, like fill the meet, fill the stands with kids or something like this is New York City. There's all these great things putting on groups. If if they need Let's Run to be a part of that, like, I don't know, I would put up a few thousand dollars to try to, like, bus kids to this meet or something like why can't we also fill the stands? I I guess maybe they're hoping there'll be a big walk up crowd and buy tickets, but it's kind of crazy That we can't get, like, I don't even know, 5,000 people to go to track meet in New York City, or I don't three 3,000. I have no idea what their numbers are.
2: John, please stop him from spending thousands of my own dollars to bus kids in there. I'm going to get Max Siegel's dollars before I'm spending mine.
1: I just looked it up. According to Wikipedia, Icon Stadium is a 5,000-seat track and field multipurpose facility located in Randall's Island. Ooh,
0: if it was 5,000, man... I mean, there is a reason why this diamond league was taken away from New York, right? And yeah, it's is it a little discouraging that in the most densely populated part of the entire country, you can't sell out a stadium when you've got plenty of big name Americans competing. Kerry Richardson was there. Sydney McLaughlin was supposed to run, but then kind of mysteriously withdraws. Oh here we go, John with mysterious What do you mean? She pulled out of the meet, right? Like what do you mean mysteriously? Mysterious because on the explanation that was provided on TV by Lewis Johnson was that her coach Bobby Kersey, saw something during warm-ups. And something like that just to, that to me is pretty mysterious from a woman who one week earlier ran one of the fastest times ever in the 400 hurdles and then suddenly in warm-ups a week later it was just it was to me it was mysterious.
2: Well, I saw an inter—I saw an interview of her, and she said she felt great. Bobby just said she wasn't running.
0: Sounds so, mysterious to me, oh, Well, then Here we go. John. I don't know
2: if this is like... Is this the coaching god complex? I do think a lot of coaches do this on purpose. They try to get the athlete to think that they're the guru and they're the reason.
0: Well, look, Bobby Kersey has had a ton of success with McLaughlin, so I totally get why she would buy into everything he says. It, he knows more, he's forgotten more about sprinting than I'll ever know. So if he doesn't feel she's ready to compete, he's probably onto something. I'm just saying the explanation, we didn't hear that, oh, my quad was acting up or I tripped on something in practice this week. It was just, she warmed up, he saw something and then said, you're not running. That to me just is kind of weird.
2: And she pulled out of another meet earlier in the year, right, John? Which one was that?
0: The That was the record attempt, at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. Now that one I can understand, it's some one-off meet, and I think she did actually say she had some sort of injury issue for that one. So that one I can understand.
1: But you guys have called out two other women for pulling out of me it's, Some people don't like it. I'm just calling out. I'm just saying these facts. I'm just warning, warning you guys. Warning you guys. And John, facts. Bobby Kersey hasn't everyone who's ever coached Sydney <laughs> done really well with her? I mean,
0: yeah. I'm, all I'm right. Not, it's, I'm just
1: being facetious. Like no, she's no. done great. Like she left what Joanna Hayes, and and I didn't she run really fast that year.
0: Yeah, she ran one of the fastest times ever. She just got beat by a world record in the world championship final. Like, she's, yeah, she's been a phenom. She made the Olympics when she was 16. So, yes, she's phenomenal. But, well, I don't think, I'm not calling out athletes who pull out of meets. I'm saying when someone pulls out of a meet, I like to hear a reason, you know? If a thing Mo just her name is no longer on the start list for the pre-classic and no one hears about it for four days... I'm going to discuss that because that's a major story in track and field. Same thing with McLaughlin. She did like to their credit, they, they told to Lewis Johnson, but I'm just saying to describe it. I wouldn't describe it as unmysterious. I wouldn't say I know exactly why she pulled out. I'm just saying, you know, we don't need to beat this dead horse. Well, should we just go there now? I wasn't
1: try. I was going to hold it off. We need some music. Andrew Brick Johnson, our composer, He's got our jingle. He's one of the top music, movie scores. If you need music for anything, your commercials, your films, your TV, check him out. We'll put a link in the show notes. I'll find some little old jingle we have. But here it is. Message for Thread of the Week related to the New York City Grand Prix. Jonathan Galt, well, it's actually spelled wrong. Jonathan Galls gets roasted on Twitter. Now, I hope everybody watched. Hopefully, the TV ratings are good for this meet because, John, as you said, we had Shakari Richardson,
0: Noah Lyles. Grant Holloway, who was beaten. We need to talk about that race in a minute. Wait, and
1: Christian Coleman? Yeah. And, and I'm just missing one person. I just, I just said who it was. Um,
2: McLaughlin was supposed to be
1: there. Yeah, McLaughlin. So the, so the fans had no, the five biggest names in USA track and field on the sprint side, we're all there and we have like 3,000 people. Oh my gosh.
0: And Arian Knight was supposed to be there. He pulled out. Like, yes, it was supposed to be a star stud. Ry Benjamin was competing until a week ago. Like, it was supposed to be a star studded meet. It was a star started meet.
1: So, Shikari runs pretty well but gets beat by Leah Hobbs in the 100. Comes back, wins the 200 and... Okay, time. She's not a 200 meter runner. But the big thing was... She was dressed to impress. She's wearing fishnet clothing. I'm not sure how she ran as fast as she did with this stuff on. She kind of looked like, I don't know, Well, that wasn't neck. the big That's thing not... to me.
2: What are y'all talking about? The big thing to me was she ran 10.85 the 100. And but she, she got beat by Ilya
0: Hobbs. Yes, that to me is the more exciting takeaway. Is She looked good. She continued that upward curve of this season. Ran a season's best. She... The one thing, it kept looking like she was reaching for that top gear, coming down the home straight and could never quite get there. But I expect her to continue improving the rest of the season. I think she'll be better at USA's. And to me, the USA Women's Final is going to be great because Aaliyah Hobbs, the 2018 champ, another LSU grad, ran 10.83 in this race and beat Shakari. And that showdown at USA's, I'm quite excited for that, the Battle of the LSU Stars. So... Race-wise, I thought this was great, and I—I I don't think that her fishnet attire seems to—I maybe it did. I didn't hear anyone actually ask whether it affected her in the race. And I'm always fascinated. I'm like, do you think she showed up to practice like one time this week? It's like, all right, this is what I want to wear in New York but I need to make sure it's not affecting me when I sprint. So I have to think that there was one practice where she was practicing in fishnets just to make sure it wasn't affecting her, right? For sure she had to practice that. I mean, with th-
1: this thing on, I mean, it looked like a spider woman or something. Like, she could have run 13 seconds, for all I know, if you if you didn't practice this thing. So, okay, her best, she had run 10.82 wind-dated this year, 10.92 at pre, on wind-dated, so this was her best 100. But this is the message board thread of the week. We're, we're trying to get beyond the actual performance. <laughs> Keep this show going. <laughs> I was so shocked when I saw this tweet. Now, she was competing at the little background at Icon Stadium, which is an island off the East River in New York. And someone on Twitter by the name of Jonathan Galt, JGalt13, I don't know if anyone knows who that is, posted, did Shakira get caught by a fishing vessel in the East River? Now, everybody knows the number one rule is never comment on someone's looks. This is a new rule. Don't comment on someone's looks, especially or even when the person totally is doing something because they want everyone to comment on how they look. But, John, like, I, I can't believe it. Actually, if you think about it, it's a funny joke. Lewis Johnson ref- interviewed her after the race and said, Now tell me about the fishnet. And Shikari said, You got to be yourself, people, be yourself. Like, that's why people like her. She's authentic. But, John, explain yourself. You're getting roasted on Twitter. People are going after Twitter, posting comparison pics to John, saying he's a terrible white male. Other worse things than that, probably. The floor is yours.
0: Yeah, I was shocked by the response. I just think people care very strongly, one way or another, about Shakari Richardson, which is something I kind of already knew, but really realized after this. I tweeted out what I thought was an innocuous joke. She was wearing fishnets. I'd never seen anyone in any context wear fishnets on their arms as well as their legs. Certainly unique outfit. I commend Shikari for her own style. You know, it's always interesting to see what she lines up in and she really dresses exactly how she wants to. I think that's an awesome way to do it. And I just thought, Oh, it's kind of funny. Like she's wearing fishnets. They're in a stadium that's right next to the East river. So I made it what I thought was an innocuous joke about that. That's really all it was. There is no, any of the, all the other undertones or anything people are reading into it. I don't know where that's coming from. To me, it was a throwaway line I would make to a friend if I was watching on TV. Maybe that means I shouldn't have tweeted out, but that's just what went through my mind.
2: I was stunned. You tweeted out, John. There's a married man. I know never comment on a woman's, appearance unless you're complimentary i don't think you that you made a judgment either way in this tweet it was just a joke but most people view it as negative that's the thing that bothers me about the internet is people assume you're negative if i ask who's the better pro prospect the five thousand ends and ncaa's people are bringing up this threat from two years ago who's the better prospect K and two-way nico young i didn't wasn't being negative I'm just saying let's just analyze this like what do you guys think of the fishnet podcast now people are saying john's getting roasted and there's been some mean pictures of John put up on the internet saying he looks like foreskin.
1: We have to go there. Now you hurt John's feelings, see? This is how this works.
0: No, I thought the funniest thing was someone in the on Twitter replied with a picture, it was my headshot, I think, from the 2010 cross-country season where I look extremely pale just wearing a Dartmouth singlet. And they're like, would you rather she just rolled up to the start line looking like this? And I'm like... <laughs> Okay, yeah, you got me. That's pretty good, you know? All the other comments, I don't need to get into those because I think it's just a lot of lunatics out there. But, like, I'm fine with, <laughs> I you know, I get it. Shikari has her own style. And I think that's great. I was not trying to say, this is dumb, like, oh, she looks terrible. All I was trying to say was, fishnets. East River, I was just trying to little, make a little joke there. It
1: is crazy, John, because, like, the Dartmouth guy, you get a joke, it's funny. But then some of these people... It is nasty, the vitriol. Like, there was no vitriol from your post. Some of these people, as you said, are lunatics. And it, the, it's just how worked up people get on Twitter, or I guess people would say on our forums. I don't know. But we should probably be used to it by now.
2: Look, what's lost on the internet is, this is the type of thing where they write, Twitter mob goes after Jonathan Galt. The reality is, he has 471 hearts. This is one of the most liked posts he's ever had on Twitter. I'm looking at his other posts the last few days, two hearts, three hearts, four hates. So lots of people have given him a thumbs up, basically. Now, a few people obviously hated it and have ripped him. And now there's a message board of thread. So the false perception that most people like, I think there's a lot of times on the internet, there's like, oh, the false perception that it's similar actually to the transphobia thing. like. If you don't think that a, a biological man should be in women's sports, you're transphobic according to Twitter and people go after you and you. J.K. Rowling gets ripped when reality is the vast majority of the people think that. What I thought was interesting about this whole thing was this is the woman who is mad that she doesn't want people filming her when she's warming up at pre. She doesn't want USATF tweeting out a picture of her at pre. And yet she wears this to the start line of a race. She clearly wanted everyone to be focused on her there. And they were, you can hear the kids yelling. People want to know why do we write articles about where Sha'Carri? She's a draw. She's, you know, Cthul, our friend that us run, Cthul, he's like, I've never seen someone with this much pull since Bolt. Now, she obviously doesn't have that much pull if they're getting 2,000 fans to the stadium. But the fans that are showing up are like me. They want to watch what she can do.
0: Well, Robert, I think there's something, there's some nuance to this point. You say It's not that she doesn't want attention. I think clearly she wants attention, but she wants to be paid for that attention. What she took issue with at the pre-classic is, I think people filming her without her consent, I think she wants to see a piece of that. Or USATF, the USATF New York City Grand Prix, if they're going to be promoting her, I think she wants to be paid for them using her to promote this meet. I don't know what the appearance fee structure is, but that to me seems like the issue that she was raising. Not that she's getting attention, but that she has the perception other people are profiting off her without her seeing some of the money.
2: And this gets to the societal problem. If everybody takes every penny that's due them, then we're not going to have newspapers. We're not going to have... The person lane one makes a million dollars, the person laying eight is in poverty. You know, like, it, honey, you're getting paid when you showed up at the Nike Prefontaine Classic. You're getting paid by Nike. A lot of money.
1: I, I mean, I assume it's pretty standard that the contract she signs to enter the meet or that they can use your likeness to promote the meet. I mean, if she wants to change the game, good luck to her. And, you know, Robert earlier about Tui or Young, should they, could they go pro? I think the Saudi Gulf, is it live tour, live tour? What's, a, is there, what's the name of it? Live tour? Oh, I L-I-V? don't even know how
0: you pronounce it. Yeah, L-I-V, live,
1: live, any of those. I think it was Rory McIlroy. I mean, money matters, but he said anytime you're doing something like solely for money, <laughs> it's usually not a good thing. So just a little balance, I think everyone needs in their lives.
0: Holy holy crap, guys. We have breaking news here. Breaking news. Max Burgin. You remember him? The Brit. He's, I think he's 20 years old now. 800 meter phenom. He's just run at the Pavo Nomi Games in Finland yeah he just turned 20 last month how fast do you think he ran
2: 142.93 143.22
0: 143.52 so not quite as high as you're expecting but that's a world leader and he's 20 years old that to me is a that's pretty <laughs> that I feel like it's stop the presses right there that's pretty crazy right
2: Pretty crazy. Why? What did, what did Donovan Brazier run at that age?
0: Donovan Brazier ran 143.55 when he was 19. And we went, we totally freaked out about it. I don't know. I'm sorry. I thought a 20 year old Brit running 143 to set the world lead in the 800 would be pretty interesting. Apparently, you guys are just ho hum about it.
2: John's just pumping up the pale white guys and jumping on the.
1: Interesting. He only ran one race last year, John. So, because he he got a lot of attention on Let's Run, I don't know when, maybe like the 145 back in 2019, because he would have been, gosh, I can't do math, 17 then. But we probably should hype this up a bit more, John, but this is an American-focused podcast.
0: Well, yeah, some people would say, "Well, why would you hype up him?" Emmanuel Yonyi ran 143 last year at World Juniors, right after turning 17 years old. So nope, there we go, you know, Blake. But then you have know, the question: Canyon ages. Some people th- think they're more suspect. I mean, look, we- we've t- there are a lot of young talents. Noah Cabet was silver at World Indoors this year, and he was what 17? I think he's 18 now. So, but to me, that just that's a big. Step forward for Burgeon. He ran 144 last year. 144 14. Yeah, that was his only race of the year. He won a Strava and didn't race after that. That's pretty wild. But John Mulkeen, Statman John on Twitter, I think he had the best perspective of this. Is he said 143 52 for Max Bergen to win the 800 here in Tokyo. That puts him fourth on the British all-time list behind three random guys named Sebco, Steve Cram, and Peter Elliott. Fastest by a Brit since 1990. That's pretty good to me. I mean, the
1: 800's wide open this year. I guess the question now is how, do he, how does he do in rounds? Because we we could look back a month from now or a well, no, month and a half from now and be like, wow, how did we not see this coming? But... I think the rounds, the age, it's, there's still a lot of question marks, you know, what he'll do at Worlds.
0: Oh, absolutely.
2: All right, back to this NYC Grand Prix. By the way, they should have had Sidney McLaughlin come on the broadcast. I mean, people want to know why the sport's not popular. You, you hype this person coming up and then put her on the broadcast to an interview while it was going on. But Christian Coleman ran well, first sub-10 since his drug ban, which I thought was good. But the big news was that Devin Allen hurdles race. I mean, I, I was just so confused. Like, I kind of view Devin Allen as I shouldn't say this. He's been a podcast guest, but not a spare, but he's like fourth. He's always fourth and fifth, fifth in the one Olympics, fourth in the next. And he's just destroying Grand Hallway over the second, over the final third of that race. And then the time pops up. It made a little bit more sense then, but what a really good run. I thought there was a really interesting post on the message board. About Grant Hallway saying, "They said his pro. They said if Grant Holloway was short was shorter, he would run like twelve point five by now. He's just too fast and too too tall. Like as he gets going and the like he's on. You think the sixty hurdles would be the hardest, but he's perfect at sixty hurdles. He never hits them. But then he gets. They say he gets just going too fast, and he gets too close to the hurdles later on and starts having to jump higher over them. So it's kind of interesting. He like has to hold back." To be good at the 110s
0: that is an interesting theory i've heard that with like they don't want that much of a tailwind behind them because if the tailwind speeds them too up then it's it's up too much it's, it screws them up they're going too fast so that is an interesting way of thinking about it
1: i'll link to this thread on this it's great i mean there's a guy who hurdles sort of explains the same stuff it seems to be being too tall wouldn't be a problem but too fast i can see and there's definitely a rhythm and in this race I mean, Devin Allen is behind, Where probably pulls up about hurdle eight. And 9-10, he just flies by. I'm like, I've never seen something like that. But some of these guys are like, look, Grant usually slows at the end. So it's a combo thing. But what a run. And I think playing football helps Devin Allen hurdle. I mean, he did run 12.99 last year, was a guest on our podcast. So we'll link to that if you want to hear a talk with Devin Allen, because then football was more of a remote concept, but Signed by the Eagles, looks like a sort of a long shot to make the team. They, they need a punt returner, and obviously maybe a last receiver. But the expectation I, I heard is that he for, very sure will make the practice squad. But it seems to me when he trains for f- football and he trains for track, that's the best combo. Although he did run twelve ninety nine last year, but he's like, yeah, it's, uh, he's like it, it's fine for me. It's what I'm used to. Like he was open to the possibility it might help him. And did you guys see? You know, some Philadelphia Eagles were sort of talking a little crap to him, saying they're faster than him. He's like, "All right, I'll race you, but it's going to cost you ten grand. Ten grand to the winner."
0: I love that off attitude because I do think in a flat race, how many people in the NFL could beat Devin Allen? I think it's if anyone, it's probably on the um, you can count them on one hand, right? Like,
1: I mean, Tyree Kill. Beat Devin in high school, so that's the possibility right off the bat. But I wonder, also football. You know, like like forty yards. Devin's fast, but like the I don't know. It'd be very different. You know, forty yard football pad speed. Who knows what that means? But that's not how they do it. Hundred meters. Tyree Kill's the only guy I'm gonna give a chance.
0: Yeah, Anthony Schwartz on the Browns uh, was like a ten-one guy in high school. He was a pretty great sprinter. At- where to go, Auburn. So he might have a shot as well. But yeah, no, this is terrific. I think the thing that shocked me, though, is like, Robbie, we noticed we noted this in the week that was. Devin Allen last year, or earlier this year, he said, yeah, his plan was to run one more year, break the world record, win worlds, and then go to the NFL. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, break the world record? He'd never broken 13 until the end of last season. I'm just like, I guess that's, you've got to have these goals, but he's talking about like 12-7 and 12-8. He's never won a medal at a global championships. I I was just like, that's a really bold goal to make an improvement, but sometimes this happens in the hurdles. We had it in 2012 with Aries Merritt. He went from good, 1308 to 1309 to the greatest season in the history of the 110 hurdles, Olympic champion, world record 1280, and he was the same age, 27, as Devin Allen is right now. So some people are going to say, wow, that's this huge improvement at this age. That's total outlier. It's, it's not totally unprecedented in the hurdles.
2: Not at all. And that's. Like, Weldon gets mad at me. I am too much of a pessimist. Like, I shouldn't say white people can't win the distance races. And I shouldn't say hurdlers can't improve at age 27 because they have. And you shouldn't set limits. You're right. Because you've you got to dream big. But he's clearly a student in the sport because most of the hurdlers have had a year where they've chopped off at least 0.15. Even like, but now some of them are younger, like Dayron Robles or Li Zhang. Like when they were young, like 1920, they were just, a couple of them just were like phenoms. And then, you know, when your first year of hurdling at that height, you, you'd knock off a lot, but pretty cool. And now the event is just super exciting for Worlds because you've got him, you've got Holloway, obviously, you've got Parchment, the defending champion, and then you've got the FSU guy, who would have been might be my favorite to win worlds? was just crazy to think. What's his name? John just won NCAs. Trey Cunningham. One of, by definition, one of those four studs is not going to medal.
0: Yeah, it's to me. Right now, it's more interesting than four hundred hurdles. And if we know that Woolholm's going to be at worlds, and we know Benjamin, who seems to have battled, I think it was COVID that cost him. Pre Classic, and he didn't. He pulled out of this meet on Sunday as well. So, if those two are there, and then Dos Santos, we know has been running well. We could still have a terrific matchup. But right now, we have athlete. We have Cunningham, Allen, and Parchment are all running fantastic, and Grant Holloway still ran thirteen. He hadn't run for like a month and a half before this race, so I was wondering if something was up with him. But thirteen oh six, that's still pretty darn good. So. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's going to be a terrific race at the World Championships in Eugene. And we're all sort of Grant Holloway fans. Like, he's just entertaining. Props to him
1: afterwards. He's like, you know, great race to Devon, essentially back to the drawing board. It, it's it's exciting event, and there's always variability with the hurdles. So,
2: should be a great one. You know, had he been hurt, do we know?
0: I don't know what's up with Holloway. I wish someone at Austin White hadn't raced for. Such a long time. Because I was starting to wonder if something was up, but he ran well enough. But yeah, I am curious if something happened.
2: Speaking of Florida Gators with personality, does anyone think Fonbo has lost a lot of money by running for Liberia? I mean, he's born and raised in America, right?
0: Yes, he is. Uh, Maybe. But...
2: I mean, a lot of money.
1: Robert, there's a chance he wouldn't make the U.S. team. I mean, Aaron Knight and Noah Lyles. Yeah, if he becomes the world's best, maybe. But then if you're the both, it doesn't really matter. But who knows? I thought it wasn't all about money, Robert.
2: It's not. And before we get to the Kate Flat interview, which I'm sure is going to be enter- entertaining. I can't wait to hear it myself. Can we go back to this woman's 5,000 NCS for one second? We didn't talk about Parker Valby. I mean, she's the same year as Tui in high school. She runs like two days a week. To see, and I put a thing, I noticed her at the SEC meet. This woman came out of literally nowhere. I think she'd run like one race all year, didn't do anything her freshman year, and then gets in the SEC meet and leads the whole 5,000, and that won the, the team title for them in the SEC meet. She does the same thing at NCAs is putting the hammer down to Caitlin Tui, almost breaking her at one point. That was so impressive. So when we talked about who's the biggest pro prospect, there's a lot of things for U.S. distance fans to be happy about. Caitlin Tui wins. Parker Valby second. Taylor Rowe. She's always it in the NCAA championships. Those are sophomore, freshmen, sophomore eligibility-wise: 15, 18, 15, 20, 15, 24. And folks. Don't sleep on the person. My guy, my source, it's never wrong. The person that said, you know what? Grant Fisher isn't the best guy in Michigan in high school. It's a guy by the name of Donovan Brazier. He also said a couple years ago, I'm not sure Caitlin Tui is going to be the best person out of this high school class. I think it might be Marley Starliper. Well, she missed her freshman year at NC state. She's the same year as Tui in high school. She was ninth in this race, 15 36, 51 So good to see her running well as well. So thumbs up to U.S. women's distance running. These young women are running fantastic.
0: Well, especially Starloper. She missed her entire freshman year and most of her sophomore year. She didn't race until like March of this year. So for her to now run a PB of 15-36 in the final, and she was in scoring position for a bunch. She faded a little bit towards the end. I was very impressed by that. I think she has a very... Right future, especially since she's training with Tui and Raleigh. Well, while we're talking about Women's 5K, we had
1: the premier Women's 10K in America, the New York City Mini this weekend, the 50th New York City Mini. we got to mention it quickly because it's worth
2: a little perspective on this site.
1: 50, also the 50th anniversary of Title Nine.
2: You're not gonna give a shout out to MasterCard who sponsored the race, well, Oh, MasterCard, New York City Mini.
1: They have some cool program actually. I was talking to Dina Castor. They had some program and like they t- took these kids in New York City high schools, and I think they trained like these kids are sort of at risk with with some stuff. And I think they trained for like seven weeks. Dina Castor was involved. Sounds very cool. If anyone's got more info on that, let us know because probably should expand that to other cities. But Zimbabwe Teferi was the winner. But I, I wasn't there on for the race. I was there Friday the day before. They had like Dina and Paris Church here and Emily Sisson and just a bunch of people in the park at this woman's monument, this huge stat- new st- statue in Central Park to sort of celebrate the 50th anniversary. And it's just crazy. You know, women didn't have opportunities in running back then at all. And Fred LeBeau kind sort- sort of started this thing and, it's really expanded and I don't know. It's just a cool thing, but I was, I was talking. So they also had people who ran the first New York city mini. And I was talking to this woman, Lynn Blackstone. She ran the first one. And she, she, she's like, I started running like people. There weren't a lot of runners back then. You'd go to the, to the, reservoir in Central Park and I knew everyone by name who was running there but she's like I noticed my husband running we live in the same apartment building they weren't married at the time he was just some other guy in the apartment building he'd come back and he looked like he was you know happy after runs she's like I want to try that I want some of that and I think we all know that feeling How running makes you feel but this lady I got. can I reveal someone's age on this thing this lady I think was 84 years old she's the best looking 84 year old I've ever seen in my life I couldn't believe it my parents are 76, 77. I'm like, you're seven or eight years older? She's like, yeah, everybody's got to get out there and exercise. So I'll put a link to some of the interviews I did on Friday at the New York City Mini.
0: Yeah, Will should comment on the racist. here. Teferi of Ethiopia wins it. She's basically the top road racer in the world for you know, 5K, 10K. She had the world record. In the 5K last year, 1429 on the roads. She wins 30, 30, 43. Great run by Sharon lacady the Kansas alum. 3052 for second, and then top American Kira Damato, 3103 in third. Takes down Alethea tulia Mark, 3108. Those are both very quick times, uh, and they've had a nice little. You know, I think they ran at the 6K as well, where Damato won that one. So, sorry, US 6K Championship. So pretty fast running up there. The course is not record eligible. They changed it this year, but those are some very fast times for the Americans and then for Teferi. And then Paris Chichichia, bit of an off race. She was only fifth in 31.19, but she is the greatest marathoner in the world. She's coming back. They just announced for New York City to defend her title in the fall. So that's actually interesting because the one thing we were hoping for was a showdown between Jep Cia and Bridget Cosguy this fall at a World major mar- Marathon Major I'm not sure it's going to happen because Cosguy in the past has run either Chicago or London would she come to New York to race Jep Cia I'm not sure about that I, I would expect not
2: that's not going to happen by the way Jep Cia fell in this race so maybe may have been why she didn't run as well
0: oh good point Robert good point
1: well, I was talking to her. She hasn't run a 10K, she said, in like five years or something. It's been a long time. She just, you know, she focuses on the marathons these days. I guess you'd expect her as fast as she is to do a little better than this.
0: I th- I was surprised Emily Sisson was only 7th. She was 31-29. I thought, given how far she ran in the half marathon, you know, last month in Indianapolis, that she would... Be able to beat DeMardo or Tulia over 10K. So I was a little, she's the, remember, she dominated everyone at the US 10K trials last year. So that to me was a surprise.
2: Look, I read the article that David Monty had in Race Results Weekly, maybe it was just in the Ra- Race Results Weekly. Every Monday he sends out all the road race results and there's sometimes some quotes in there. She's like, whoever said this course was flat didn't run it. She's not good at hills. She hates hills. This to me, just seeing that quote right there made me think, She should never, ever run the New York City Marathon or Boston Marathon. This woman exclusively needs to run the Berlins, the Londons of the world. Period. Well, she said she
1: has picked the fall marathon. And I think if you watch the interview, you might be able to figure out which one. When talking to her live, she's kind of hinted that, oh, I can't say. But then she made it sound like, oops, I said something, but I I didn't pick it up. I I almost need to go back and rewatch it myself. But... You know, no track for her this year. And, you know, Sarah Hall is getting ready for Worlds next month. Who Who's the Worlds team, John?
0: Sarah Hall, Emma Bates, Molly Seidel. Oh, and Good that's the other,
1: the other news of note from this race, or if we're going to have a second message board thread of the week. Molly Seidel pulled out of this race. And she posted on Instagram. Essentially, she's in the process of getting a TUE therapeutic use exemption for Adderall, and she shared her thoughts. And it's like, look, I have, you know, I've had some mental health issues. She's been very forthright before about struggling with eating disorders and bulimia, and she's like, uh, I was sort of searching for stuff and diagnosed with ADHD, and I'm gonna try to get a TUE to take uh adderall because adderall it's it's an amphetamine i mean it, it's a class two drug it's a f- pretty serious drug and it's not allowed in competition so we're gonna follow up hopefully more with molly this week but i talked to molly uh on the phone and because some people in let's run were like, she probably got popped trying to get a retroactive exemption for being on this drug and she's like look this that's complete bs Uh, I was diagnosed before Boston, but I wanted to run the Boston marathon. So I didn't take it. And I, you know, I think you can take these things. (laughs) You know, if you're in the regular version, you probably can just not take it the day of competition. You'd be fine, but there's extended release versions. How long does that stay in your system? You just don't want to take any chances. So I think her intention is not to take it the day of competitions, but it could still be in your system. So I don't know. I, 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 I don't blame people for being skeptical in today's age because clearly WADA views this as a performance-enhancing drug, but they have exemptions uh, on the pe- rigorous process people go through to be allowed to take it. And if sh- she's sharing her story and wants to get it, I think it's good, no?
0: Well, the way you treat skepticism, well then is being as transparent as possible. There are going to be some people who never accept this who say she shouldn't be taking it. It's PED. But the fact is WADA has a process to follow for it. She is trying to go through the correct channels. She is telling people, this is why I'm not racing because I'm trying to get this done. I commend her for that. And yeah, there are always going to be people who are going to be skeptical, but she's doing everything she can to combat that. So I think she should be applauded for it. And I'm glad they don't just
1: hand out these TUEs like candy because that was made to be we thought was the process in the past. It's just like, oh, you want a TU? Here you go.
2: I think it's great she's open about it. I think the whole idea of a TUE is a dumb one. Either let everybody be on it or nobody be on it. I I really don't think this is the type of drug that would help a marathoner. You want to elevate your heart rate before you run 26.2 miles. But that's what I think about the thing concept in general. Like It's like the untimed SAT. I don't understand that. Everyone should be untimed or nobody should be untimed. I mean,
1: I see that sort of purist sentiment, but... You know, the anti-doping authorities have essentially said, like, oh, certain drugs are so important for people's health. We'll let you possibly take these. So I, I see how people think that, including yourself, but that's not the rule. And I don't think it's changing anytime soon.
0: All right, last thing before we get to the Kate Flat interview, Robert, did you want to weigh in on Yard and Goose running 334 at Poland Track Festival at all?
2: Well, I just thought it was great. I thought it was a great weekend for Sean Carlson, by the way, Notre Dame coach. All the guys came back to win the cross country title. They don't win the cross country title, but then he, Dylan Jacobs, wins the ten thousand, and then the goose doesn't get to run NCAs, but runs three thirty four ninety eight, so he has the Olympic standard. Runs well, his values back. I just thought it was a great result. I'm just a little bit disappointed that six Americans didn't break three thirty four, including Hobbs Kessler. That actually happened last year. The athletic timing website was so confusing to me that me and another guy in Let's Run, both, he started a thread about how it happened. And I went to the results and I saw it and I was so excited. I'm like, Hobbs Kessler's back. And I was like, I spent 20 minutes trying to figure, take a picture of the results and put it on the message board, put it on the homepage so people could see it. Because it's impossible to get the results on athletic.live. It's the worst website I've ever seen in my life. But no, it did not happen. So one 3 was good, though.
0: This is during NCAA, so Robert's supposed to be helping recap the meet. Instead, he's chasing down Hobbs Kessler's lifetime PB, thinking it's something he ran on Saturday. But the biggest you left out one of the biggest things, why it's good to be Sean Carlson, Robert. Dude just got paid. Uh, I'm sure he's getting a very nice bump because he's leaving Notre Dame to go to Tennessee and take the distance job there. Uh, Dwayne Ross is now like the head track and field coach, but they mentioned, they said Sean Carlson's, you know, the cross country coach. I would imagine he's getting quite a nice raise to go coach at Tennessee. So, so Notre Dame can't compete with the SEC financially?
2: Heck it, no. They don't care about track. Notre Dame's cheap. They barely pay anybody. But the rumor is he was making 80,000 at Notre Dame. He's going to be making 250,000 at Tennessee and good for him. This is interesting, though, because Dwayne Ross is going to be the head of the track. He's going to be the head of cross-country. Supposedly, they're going to have their own scholarships. Or the theory is that the NIL deals are going to take care of the men's cross-country, the equivalent of like six scholarships. This is the rumor on the message board. Now, it's technically illegal to give a name, image, and likeness deal to someone to make them come to the school. And people are like, how are you going to get them to come? You know, Other coaches are going to report him. And I thought about it. I said, this isn't that hard. I posted this last night. What happens is, I mean, the University of Texas football team has already said the offensive linemen are going to be getting $50,000.
1: Robert, and they're trying to crack down on this too, so this may not happen, but you're telling me Tennessee is a bunch of boosters who want to drop three hundred grand a year on track? Maybe so.
0: No, you know what? The, the big You're missing the big thing here. Why Notre Dame turn around? Because Sean Halson is one of the best recruiters in the country. He got a
2: ton of John, talent. to con- no, yes. no, stop, stop, stop. Notre Dame, yes, he's a, good, he's a good coach, and he's a good recruiter. But Notre Dame has a huge appeal. It's Notre Dame. Every Catholic kid in America wants to go to Notre Dame. Like It's a little bit different in Tennessee. I think it's a very good move for Sean if he wants to be like Pete Watson at the, at the, at the University of Texas. A very good track program. Some very good distance runners. They can make nationals in cross-country. I think it, unless he's got the NIL, there's no chance they're going to be competing for a cross-country title. Zero.
0: I won't go that far, but I do think it's harder to build a distance power at Tennessee than it is at Notre Dame. Well, uh, well especially when a head coach is a sprint
1: coach and is going to be using a lot of the scholarships for sprinting. So, because We only have so many scholarships, and it doesn't cover the whole team.
2: But right. the NIL, if that's real, and that's the rumor, the source that told me three weeks ago when I put it on the supporting club forum that he was going to be the coach there said, yeah, and they asked about scholarships and they said, "Oh, don't worry about that. We're doing NIL." What you would do is you just recruit them and then not, the the collective could say, "Hey, we're going to give whatever it is, $25,000 to the to any recruit that signs a scholarship or to to all distance runners or to all distance runners who have a high school PB under 4:05 or Robert, whatever you, it is. You
1: can't tie an NIL deal to a certain school. That's against the rules.
2: Okay, so the University of Texas is paying all men $50,000 a year is illegal?
0: Well, I just found it interesting that they clearly want to commit resources to that distance program, even though the men's team just finished third at NCAAs without really a top distance program. And yeah. while we're talking about
1: Tennessee title, the 50th anniversary of Title IX, Beth Alfred Sullivan, the head coach of Tennessee,
0: fourth place, right? Men's and women's side? No, third on the men's side is what I just said. They didn't place in the top 10 on the women's side. Third place in the men's side, and th- they're getting rid of her. So,
1: pioneer women's coach out at Tennessee. But clearly a very good coach.
0: So, anyway, back to goose. I mean, the, the result for me was a great run for him. I mean, there are other Americans who ran quick. Johnny Gregoric ran 335-2. With his kick, I think he's right in contention to make that team now. Grant three thirty five five. He's already on the ten K team, you know, he's not running the fifteen hundred. Then Paul Ryan, three thirty five, Vincent Ciardi, three thirty six oh, Josh Thompson, three thirty six two. I mean, a lot of Americans, you know, they're rounding into form. Hobbs Ketzler on the eleventh, three thirty seven two. But to me, what this my takeaway now is I have my three favorites for the team. It's Hawker, it's Cold, Cooper tier and it's Yara Nagus Because we know Engels is out. He said, just has been banged up this year. Can't make it to USA's. Centro had knee surgery. He's gone. To me, it's Nagus, Hawker, and Tier. But I think it's very possible one of them gets run down. Maybe maybe it's Cooper tier, Uh Because you got... If Gregoric's in 335 shape, I know that guy can kick... I know Josh Thompson can t- kick him running three thirty six. Like, there's going to be a lot of guys in contention for those spots on the last lap. I think it's going to be a great event at USA's. This just shows running's all about the next big thing. What's coming up?
1: I mean, we had all this great action. USA's only two weeks ago. We're debating who's going to win the men's fifteen hundred. You know, who's the top buyer in the US? Never gets old discussing that. But guys, we got Cade Flat who could be the fastest 800-meter runner of all time. Up next, did you guys know that Kay, I mean, this, he, he's like, I'm the greatest. Did you guys know he raced Mar- Mario Gar- Garcia Romo at Ole Miss this year?
0: I did. He just got narrowly beat in that race.
1: Barely beat. I'm like, he's like, yeah, I put a big move on him with 300 to go. I mean, this kid is cocky, man. Like, who does that to the NCAA mile champion? This kid's cocky. This kid's confident. He's fast. Here he is. Cade Flat. Oh wait, we got two Diamond Leagues this week. Oslo on Thursday, Paris on Saturday. If you want reaction to Oslo and a preview of Paris, join the supporters club today. Let's run.com slash subscribe to get the second podcast every week. Alright, here's Cade. We're joined by Cade Flat of Benton, Kentucky, population 4756. He runs for Marshall County High School. This past weekend, Cade won four state titles, 400, the 800, 4x4, the 4x8. Cade, congratulations. But that's not why you're on this podcast. I mean, that's good, but we usually focus on the national level. And indoors, Cade won the New Balance Indoor Nationals to burst on the scene. Soon after that, he ran an outdoor race at Ole Miss, where he raced NCAA indoor champion of the mile, Mario Garcia-Romo, narrowly losing. Afterwards, he posted to Twitter, in two months' time, I rewrite history. He almost rewrote history last month in May at Icon Stadium in New York, where he ran 146-51, just missing Michael Granville's 26-year record at 800 meters. This weekend, he'll be running the New Balance Outdoor Nationals for the first time ever at Franklin Field in Pennsylvania, where he hopes to break Michael Granville's record. Cade, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Cade, you're a refreshing voice in track and field. You're young, so maybe you're refreshing to old guys like myself no matter what. But you're not only running fast, you're a big talker, you're confident. I like it. It's, It's... does that just come naturally to you?
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of came naturally. I've always been a uh, competitive person. You can ask my siblings, uh, son, my uh, my brother, my dad. You know, whether it's a, uh, you know, track and field or basketball or cornhole. You know, where we're uh, we're talking to each other and uh, you know, letting them know who's who's the best and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's kind of always always been there. And uh, yeah, just just letting them just letting people know, K flat.
1: I think the sport needs. More personalities. I mean, we got them, but a little trash talking, I think, is good. Usually, we don't get it at the high school
3: level, so yeah, it's yeah, great. Not, not scared, not afraid, be different.
1: Before we talk about your career and how you got here, let's talk about this weekend. You've put it out there. Is the goal solely the record, Franklin Field? You can get bad weather, you can get wind. Mm-hmm. Talk about the goal for this weekend.
3: Yeah, goal for this weekend is the record. um You know, that's that's what we've been eyeing. That's what we've. You know, I had. 145. I had 146, four five in the legs, May 20th, uh, at trials of miles and just did just little instances that cost me that record, you know, in split seconds. Uh, but you know, I, we've been, we've been shooting for something way past that record, to be honest, uh, not planning on skimming by. So we'll, we'll see what happens, see how it unfolds, but yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for it.
1: And is there any competition for you? I know Will Sumner's not
3: in this one, but mm-hmm. do you expect people to be with you? Um, to be honest, I don't think anybody's crazy enough to be with me at at uh, after 500. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see how it shakes out. Um, I'm not too familiar with the field, uh, if I'm being honest. But, you know, it's if I'm going out there to break the ha- national record and going to run the fastest time I ever ran, then there shouldn't be anybody in front of me anyway. So I can't be worried about that.
1: I hadn't even thought about this. Uh, are you going to have a rabbit?
3: Yes. Yes, we'll have a rabbit.
1: Okay, good, because... Like you know, USA Nationals, they can't have a rabbit, and I'm like, okay, if he if he's gonna solo this thing, it's even crazier.
3: Yeah, and and, and that's the thing. Like, I've I've always been a guy I can run fast by myself. At New Balance Indoor Nationals, I ran fast by myself. Um, I think that I, I could, but it's you know if the options there, and this national meet, I don't think I don't think the field's as competitive as it could be. Uh, that we have this has been the high school season with the most you know top 800 guys ever. I think I think historically if we put everybody in the same race, it'd be the biggest race in high school history, but it just didn't happen, and everyone split up and doing different events and off events and stuff like that, so I think the best way to go is uh, just a rabbit, just help me out a little bit uh give me something to something to chase, and you know uh, not really plan on running one forty six four four you know, so I want something real fast, I want something impressive, I want something that's gonna gonna last twenty six years like the previous one, Wow.
1: I assume there's at least going to be a 45 in there you're hoping for.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see.
1: I was about to say it. I th- almost every fast 800 meters has a rabbit, but that's not the case. The greatest one of all time, David Radish in 2012. Right. No rabbit. Let's see. 2012. Oh my gosh. So you were eight. You have no memory of that race.
3: Yeah. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I remember the London Olympics. Barely. I barely. I mean, I, I really wasn't even into the Rio Olympics. To be honest, I, I maybe watched Bolt and Michael Phelps. Uh, I would not I was. I just got in. That was my first year in track, so I wasn't even thinking about that uh, at the time. So, really, the, just last year, only Olympics that I've paid attention to.
1: How long have you been? Are, how familiar now are you with the sort of top end of the sport? Donovan Brazier
3: was the world champion from the U.S. That was, I guess, now three years ago. I've been. I guess. 2019 is when I really started. So that was my freshman year. That was when I really started keeping up with like, I guess pro stuff. But really, I'm a, I think I'm a pretty ca- casual fan when it comes to track. If I'm honest, uh, you know, I'm always watching the top 800s. I uh, always tune in to watch like, you know, Fred Curley and Christian Coleman, those guys in those events, but I'm not too big into anything else. If it, you know, it's, if it's not something that I'm focused on or, or if I'm bored, I'll put on a, a 10k and just sit there and kind of look on my phone and then look up and just see what's going on. You know what I mean? But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a casual at the, at the track sport, sport of track. Hey, I'm a, I'm a former 10k runner. I resent that. No, it's actually <laughs> 10k is pretty boring for most of the time, you know, but. Yeah. But sometimes I swear, sometimes I'm just like, I really, I, I really want to watch a 10k. It's like, sometimes I want, I want to watch golf for no reason. You know, it's just like, I just want to just study and let, watch it play out. You know, I, I want to watch those guys move and, just see what happens the 10k and ncaa championships was was awesome you know and i I watched that uh you know had had some drama in there and you know it was good it was good so it just depends on the race it's true but would you consider yourself more of a sprinter than a distance runner Uh, and and that's what i don't know because like i'm not i don't really consider myself i can just consider myself an 800 guy to be honest just a pure 800 specialist um I think I'm on the faster side of the 800. Like I think I'd be more competitive. I think I can run a real fast four right now. Uh, I'd be more competitive in the four side than the mile side. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm just right in the middle. I think I'm just a 800 specialist. It's your best event, but
1: you run 46.89. I've only, th- you only run a couple of miles, but four, Is that right?
3: Yeah. So that, that was the only 16, uh, only four lapper. I, I did this year. Um, just wanted to see what could happen. Uh, yeah, and, and that forty six eighty nine, I ran that. So I, like, I got in two four hundreds this year, or three, three 400s this year. And like, you know, I, I think I can run a lot faster than that in a four hundred, but it's just what I came up with, and not really, not really a focus to hit again. So
1: for the mile, for no, someone who never runs it or sixteen hundred, that's pretty good. Is it true you run fifteen miles a week?
3: Yeah, so uh, that was a lie, and I, I didn't know I was lying about it at the time. Uh, when I, when I came out there and said that I did that. But yeah, I went back and looked at my training and kind of went through just random weeks and I couldn't find one over five miles, uh, five miles a week. So uh,
1: Wait, I don't.
3: What? Yeah. I, uh, five. Five. I, I had, I had, a, I had a week where I hit three. I had a week where I hit four and I had a week where I hit five and I, I couldn't find one over five the rest of the season. Okay, before we got started, I was asking if you're familiar with the Let's Run
1: message boards, and you are a little bit. Okay, they're they're but those people are losing themselves right now. They're going to get on my case if I don't que- <laughs> question you in great detail about this. Yeah. Does that count? Like your do you warm up? You're not counting your warm up. Like what are you talking about? Even so, your 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 intervals almost add up to three miles. I feel like. I don't
3: count my warm up. My warm up is a 300 meter jog around the lap. I don't even do a full lap. My warm up every day at practice. So yeah, I do a 300 meter uh warm up, then I go into like my drills and stuff. Um but yeah, and that's that's what was that's was so weird to me. It's like there's no like how do I only have 3 miles for this week? But yeah, you know, it's some like um for the longest time I was only running 5 days a week. I wouldn't even do 6. Um one day a week would just be like strength like a body weight circuit or just lifting or something like that uh for the longest time. But yeah, so like some weeks I'll only run 5 days and What one of those days, I'll probably get over half my volume for the weekend for the week, and then the rest of it's kind of like sprint work, speed work, um, just real short stuff. So, yeah, really don't really don't go too far. So, you never go out for a jog? No, uh, actually, okay, today I went for a 10 minute jog, but like it's supposed to be just super easy, just shake the legs out. Um, and I, I hit, I didn't even, I went like one mile. So <laughs> super easy, super slow. What's the most you've ever, what's the most you've ever run in a week? Most I've ever ran in a week. I don't know about, I don't know about this year. Um, I think, well, I thought, I mean, I thought I was doing 15, but I thought that my uh, highest mile week was 20 this year. Um, way back even before races uh, we did, um, but it was, I probably go look back now. It's probably like 10 or so. I guess I'm a little off, but uh Yeah. <laughs> so longest longest run I've ever been on was seven miles, and that was during cross country season uh this past year now that was one time thing wasn't fun didn't enjoy it <laughs> Wow See, have you ever run an hour? Did that take you an hour? uh I have no idea. I have no idea pacing i uh, I haven't charged my watch in months, so I, I don't even i don't use my watch during workouts or anything like that so And you're not, you're not like pulling one over me. This is like no, this is this is true. I'm, I'm telling you the truth right here. Yeah, and I, I I can go get the training log and and read, read you a week if you want me to.
1: But okay, you you need to get like an nil deal with some watch company and Strava. Yeah, people will be amazed.
3: Yeah, it's. I've I've never owned, I've never had Strava either, and I get a lot of like hate for that in the running world. It's like, oh yeah, follow my Strava or blah blah blah. It's like I don't, I don't even use my watch. Like I don't track what I do. I just I write down. in a a book, what I do and what I think on the day and stuff. But that's uh, that's it. I don't have a watch or Strava or keep up with anything like that.
1: Well, I'm, I'm old school. I came of age before Strava. So I applaud that. (laughs) Looking ahead to Ole Miss, have you talked to coach Van Hoy? Like, I assume he's going to want you to run a little more than that, but like, Hey, this is working.
3: Yeah. Have you thought ahead a little bit? Uh, we've we talked um early on during like the kind of the recruiting and stuff uh, and he's not he's not gonna be into switching up and putting me on on distance side. he said i'm gonna be more on the speed side of things uh, but really haven't been into detail on things like that um we'll just have to see what happens because you know it could be a thing like my coaches my high school coach's philosophy is like do as little as possible getting you to the highest level as possible so right now i could probably run a decent amount faster in my in my 800 or in my 400 or whatever but we're just kind of making sure we're not overtrained, making sure we're undertrained if anything uh going into the next level so we can have that have that upside so uh we'll just we'll just have to see what happens but yeah i'm i think i'm gonna stick to the more speed side at the 800 you've got tons of upside because there's an
1: endurance component so mm-hmm. wow once you get some of that w- what's your high school coach's name
3: what's his background andrew johnston uh his his background is english teacher he uh you know helped coach football for the longest time uh he's he's just he's a great guy he's into it um you know he's he's really young uh that's his background he doesn't really have a coaching background like i'm not i don't really have a professional coach or anything crazy uh it's just i'm on that english teacher training and it's working so sticking to it this sounds fake this is too good to be true i like this how old your coach? Uh I don't want to, I don't want to disrespect him, but he's young. I don't I wanna say like early thirties, early thirties, maybe like thirty thirty one, something like so that. He's young. Are people now like contacting him, giving him advice? Or he t- tunes tins it out? Uh I don't I don't think anybody's really contacted him. Uh some people try to contact me and, and tell me what uh you know I should be doing and shouldn't be doing, but you know, it's a, I'm with that guy till the end. So
1: I like loyalty. It's working well for you, so stick with it.
3: Yes, yes, that's right.
1: We talked about it a little bit earlier, so it sounds like will there be no races with Will Sumner this year, maybe at USAs, or do you think it's going to happen?
3: He's doing a U-20s as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know. Um, I don't even know if he's doing the 800. He might be doing the 4. Uh, that's, that's what I know, and I uh, – when he first entered into Brooks, I kind of saw that, and I was like, okay, it could be a stack stacked race. You know, we had he had Plant, uh, Sumner, and then I was gonna I was gonna follow him there, but it, he was in the four hundred, and then it turned out he was in the four. So I was like, okay, you know, so that's that's when I, I decided to go to New Balance, and uh, I'm really happy with that decision. I've uh, never been to Philadelphia, but yeah, so I don't I don't think there's gonna be a, a flat and Sumner matchup, but we'll set to see what happens.
1: Yeah, as a high score, how do you pick which race to go to? I mean, you've got all these options.
3: Yeah, and that's and that's what, you know, stinks. Um, to be honest, it sucks because like to be a national champion, for me in my mind, to legitimize it, it's you know, you can go to Brooks PR and win nationals and be a national champion, say you're a national champion, but you're not the you're not the best in the country or some guy from New Balance ran faster than you. You know what I mean? So I, I wish it was just one meet. I wish we could get together. And it just they just pull it in and say, hey, this is the national championships. One brand takes it over, whatever. You know, I, I don't care, but yeah, it sucks. I mean, all the competitions dispersed, and people are going on off events, and some people aren't even in national championships this year. So it's it's difficult. Uh, you know, I personally, I, I just wanted to New Balance has been great. It's where I started with New Balance. It's where people met me. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll finish the high school career with New Balance. Uh, and then I've never been to Philadelphia. Rock. I've grown up on Rocky movies, so. You Know running up those steps, let's check that off the bucket list. We'll do that. Um, but yeah, so it, it was pretty easy to do for me. And Franklin Field's awesome from what I've seen, so I'd like to run there and have a moment there. So, yeah, it's
1: a great place, and there's so much running history there. And we were talking b- before we started that uh, Benton, I mean, you're two hours from anything, mm-hmm. Nashville, Tennessee, I think, because you said it's the closest yes. big city to you, so nothing around here. Yeah, should have a good time in uh, Pennsylvania. So what's you said? You're not going to do the under twenties. It sounds like. Are you going to try to do USA's? What's the goal for you? What's the rest of the summer look like?
3: USA's USA's is the uh, is the goal for me at the moment. I think that I'm in shape to run something pretty fast, and uh, you know, I think getting that final would be huge. Uh, That'd be and for me, you know, the U twenties is a making team USA and stuff. That's a you know that'd be a big honor and being on a team USA for U twenty and things like that. But I think that lining up with the best in the world at, while I have the opportunity as a high school kid, I think that's something special. And I think that's a, uh, you know, this Marshall County community that, have, you know, seeing me on TV, things like that. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's a pretty big deal for them too. Uh, so I think me had doing that and that experience, you know, uh, I do that now I line up against these guys when I'm young, the, you know, the, the little young chimp, the, the kid, you know, and then two years, next, two years later I can line up against them as, you know, King Kong, see what happens. So I'll have that experience under my belt and, you know, be ready for it.
1: Wow. I'm, I'm impressed taking on the big boys because <laughs> cause you said, I think it was after the 147 where you nearly beat, uh, Mario Garcia Romo. And you said, I'm not scared to race anybody anytime, anywhere at any level. I, I guess you meant it.
3: Yeah, no, it, and I'm not, you know, all year long, it's been that way. I'll, I'll race anybody, uh, it's uh it's not something i'm scared of i'm to put myself out there to uh and i think i'm in shape you know i'm I always get on the line you know full confidence What no matter who you are anything can happen so
1: and, and that race i didn't realize you were close to him
3: mm-hmm. right it yeah. was like point yeah.
1: point point two or something
3: yeah it was it was right there i uh made a real uh gutsy move 300 meters out went around him uh had the lead and then coming right off the final turn, I swung a little wide for whatever reason. And so I, I was in like end of lane one, almost in lane two, and he just sneaks up right on the inside of me, right, right there. And it was like, you know, he's great. If I'm going to lose, if I'm going to lose to somebody, I'll lose to the NCAA champion, you know, a rebel, uh, Mario. He's a great guy. Uh, all props to that guy. Um, but yeah, I just, I swung a little wide and he, he snuck up on me. Then, you know, it's a Spanish rocket just right past me right there at the end. I mean, the number one rule of 800, or of any running, never get beat on the inside. Yep,
1: that happened. That won't happen again, right? Won't happen again. No, sir. Wow. But that's, I mean, that's crazy. Like, you're, you're not afraid. But yeah, to beat USAs, you could probably make the final running a 145. Do you think a 144 is in the legs this year?
3: We're going to see what happens June 17th, Friday at uh, Franklin Field. I think that'll tell me everything and tell people everything they need to know what's, uh, for the remainder of the season, what kind of shape I'm in and what I can do. Uh, But, yeah, we'll just have to see. I I think making that final is doable. Um, Ready to put myself out there, see what happens.
1: And I heard on another podcast or interview or something, you started off running, your parents would give it to you for punishment.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, they would. uh, So it was like punishment. Like When me and my brother were fighting, my dad would send me and him like, on a mile run or something, we was like. So we had this neighbor, who's half a mile down, and then he'd be like, "Go run to their house, you know, touch the mailbox, come back." And I know him, so if you don't touch that mailbox, they're going to tell me, and you're going to be in trouble, you know. <laughs> so he'd, he'd send us off that we'd be fighting or something. He'd send us on a mile. We'd come back, we'd be too tired to fight each other. We're like, "Hey, Dad, can I, you know, play PS two, you know, all day, whatever?" Because PS two was out at the time. It's like, "Okay, no, go run a mile first. You have to. You can, but you have to run a mile first. And so, I mean. That that always sucked. I hated running to begin with because it was always like a punishment thing. And Bryce, my older brother, uh, he's two years older than me, he would be doing he might go for three miles, I might go for one mile because we were young at the time. Uh and he just, you know. And then once I was able to run with him, we'd both do three miles or something. He, as, you know, competitive as he is, competitive as I was. We'd sit there and try to race the thing, but he would just get the best of me every single time. He's just older, and I, you know, I'd be crying and just upset. And, You know, he beat me. He left me by my own. I gotta, I gotta run a mile by myself now. Uh, but yeah, that, that was that was it in early age, um, and it wasn't an everyday thing. Like I wasn't like training or like an avid runner. It was just like, you know, you guys are getting on my nerves. Go run and get a, get worn out a little bit.
1: <laughs> it sounds like you might, might have been running more when you're like eight than you are now.
3: <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe, you know. but Yeah, no. It it wasn't everyday thing, My, you know, it wasn't ever like a overwork, you know. It was, it was maybe like twice a week I'd run like a mile or or something like that, but, you know, it just varied, you know, how good I was. <laughs> Did your parents do track how fast was your brother? No, my my uh, mom didn't do any sports and my dad was a basketball guy. He's like 6-7. So, uh, my bro my brother, he ran cross country as a 6th grader. But he was growing really fast at the time, so he actually got injured. He was he was good uh, around here, and he got injured his first year doing it. His hip, like hips, were really open or something. He was like six three in sixth grade, like he was growing really fast. Wow! And uh, so he got injured, so that's why uh, they didn't put me in anything until uh, sixth grade as well. But I didn't do cross country or anything like that. Um, but yeah, he he came back his sophomore year and ran. He was a like two oh one guy and a fifty one four hundred as his first year in track, which, you know, pretty good. I think. Um, but yeah, he had, he had potential to be really well, but he just, uh, yeah, he didn't want to be there. So he's six, seven, I haven't seen any six seven eight hundred 800 meter runners. But. <laughs> yeah. No, I, know uh, yeah, my dad, no, he, he said he ran track like he ran the 100, the 200 and the shot put. So that's, that's what he did.
1: Well, I'm, everyone, I'm glad you found the 800. It sounds like, you know, you had a little unorthodox training as a kid and, definitely now but it's working for you
3: yeah yeah for sure uh for sure and yeah i was uh, like speaking of finding the 800 i was i was about to quit track it was my like first meet i ran around the mile and i did high jump and i loved high jump and then i hated the mile and then coach put me in second meet put me in the 800 and then i won it and it was like it was the number one time in the country for a sixth grader at the time my first one and then i was just like oh i didn't really know what mile split was or anything like that at the time and someone just told me about it and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know? And then they were like, no, no, seriously. And then I was like, okay, I'll stick around for a little bit. And then it kind of just uh, took off.
1: Wow. How fast did you run? It
3: was a 226. And then I ended up getting that to a 208, my sixth grade year. Wow. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I brought it down, brought it down.
1: Well, good luck this weekend. Thank you for joining us and keep being you people. You know, you got a few haters in that run, right, but most people, I think, deep down, they love the personality.
3: Yeah, yeah, and that you know, I, there's there's definitely some hate, but I, I see a lot more support, and I, I get support all the time, every day, from uh, kids all over. So, yeah, keep being me, keep being different. So, I appreciate you having me. Okay, appreciate it. Thank you. Yes sir. See ya.
1: If you want to take your recovery seriously, you got to try the Therabody Recovery Air Compression System. Personally, I love the Jet Boots because they're wireless, super easy to use. Fold into a little bag. 60-day money-back guarantee. Check it out for yourself. Try them out yourself. Therabody.com slash Let's Run. Link in the show notes.